0: Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome to to Composite Two-Star Recruits, a USC recruiting podcast with a couple of one-star hosts, Chris 10K Trevino and Gerard Hurricane Martinez, part of the USCfootball.com podcast family. The Cilantro Boys talk about everything from commitment breakdowns, game analysis, old recruiting stories, and of course, some unsubstantiated rumors. And now, here are your hosts, 18K and Gerald.
1: Welcome back to Composite Two-Star Recruits. A USC recruiting podcast. I am your one star host, Chris Trevino. I'm joined by my podcasting partner in crime, fellow one star host, but a five star in my heart, Gerard Hurricane Martinez. This is going to be an interesting episode. Gerard is battling a little bit of a, a, a sickness, and I don't want to wear out his voice. He's obviously the heart and soul and voice of this podcast, so we can't ride him too hard tonight. So Gerard, you have to take it easy tonight. You have to promise me you'll take you you'll rest up that voice. What do I need it for other than the podcast? Are you saying you're just like you've been on vocal rest the entire like two weeks in pre- preparation for this podcast?
0: I don't talk to anybody normally. I just kind of lay low and uh, you know I'll get by. It's a sore throat. That's it. Well, we need
1: to protect his voice, his vocal <laughs> cords. He's had a tooth episode. Just you ready, this will be... We the, had a tooth uh, episode. I mean, we, I felt like I was going through it through it with you, baby. I, I was right there with you. I mean, obviously, you were the one dealing with all the pain, but I, I feel like I was part of it, you know?
0: Yeah, I mean, it sucked uh, when it started hurting, but I was lucky I was able to get in, kind of like an emergency appointment. And I looked it over, and boom, boom, boom. It was like within the next week, I had uh, the, the root canal, and um, that was awesome. And so it hasn't been hurting since then. But yeah, when you live with uh, three kids under the age of ten, man, they just there's always a cough and a sniffle and there's something going on <laughs> from week to week. So you just kind of know, like, all right, whatever. Got to so I, uh, I get on the mucinix real quick and uh, get on the Ricola's real quick and just ride it out.
1: So send your good vibes to Gerard. And yes, this episode is unofficially brought to you by Ricola because Gerard's going to be popping those things over there in his garage. But officially, (laughs) this episode is brought to you by the official sponsor of the Composite Two Star Recruits. You know her, you love her. That's Meredith Schlosser, one of the top real estate agents in Los Angeles with over $600 million in sales and more than 200, 200 five-star Zillow reviews. Meredith is a bona fide, certified five-star real estate agent, and she even – represents a one-star like me all the way up to Jeannie Buss, president of the Los Angeles Lakers. So your real estate agent, you could tell people at a party, hey, my real estate agent is the real estate agent of Jeannie Buss, the president of the Los Angeles Lakers. Meredith is backed by a full-service team that allows her to service a wide range of clientels for rentals, sales, and purchases. She has extensive experience with first-time home buyers and sellers. Most recently, Meredith was recognized by Wall Street Journal with the top of agents in the nation, of the nation, not California, not the West Coast, the nation. You can learn more about Meredith and her team at www.meredithschlosser.com. That is S-C-H-L-O-S-S-E-R. And you can check out her business Instagram at Meredith Real Estate to see all the postings and listings that she has up there. That is at Meredith Real Estate, her business Instagram.
0: Wow, what a great custom read. You don't get that from other podcasts, folks. You don't get that on YouTube, man. Chris, every week, goes through and has a heartfelt thank you to Meredith Slosher, our official sponsor. But I always have to say, you know, going out of your way to do that personally, I'm, I'm always impressed by that. It's the personal touch that we give here at Composite
1: Two Star Recruits. That's what sets us apart, Gerard. That's what sets us apart. So shout out to Meredith Slosher. The official sponsor of the Composite Two-Star Recruits, Gerard, cold open, pretty simple for us. A little bit of a crystal ball stock market, which we haven't had in a while. It's been a minute for USC in terms of, you know, some momentum with the 2024 class. But Greg Biggins, the GOAT of the West Coast, recently put in a crystal ball for four-star Los Alamitos cornerback Isaiah Rubin. He put it out a six confidence. That was earlier this week. He had a piece breaking down why he was putting in a crystal ball for USC. Isaiah Rubin recently announced his top four of Colorado, Oregon, USC, and Utah. Now, this is an interesting kind of uh, recruitment, if you will. Isaiah Rubin is originally from out there in Nevada, Las Vegas, played at Desert Pines, transferred over to Southern California. I believe he's actually going to go to Long Beach Milliken then he ended up at Los Alamitos. He's there now playing his senior year, but he is set to make a commitment on October 20th. That is the commitment date he has set. I believe it is his birthday or someone in his family's birthday, but I'm pretty sure it's his birthday. But Isaiah Rubin, listed initially as an athlete, but he is going to be a cornerback prospect, Six foot one, 170 pounds, a three-star on the 24-7 Sports Composite, number 443 overall, number 36 cornerback, number 25 cornerback in the 24-7 sports rankings. He is a four-star and a 90 rating by our rankings. And this is an interesting one. I mean, Gerard, I never like to call a prospect a plan B, but this is clearly USC moving down their board, You know, you have Marcellus Williams committed, and that one's pretty locked up. You, you were set in the summer with the commitment of Dakota Fields, but obviously every USC fan knows that was a big flip to the Oregon Ducks. Now, they've been trying to get that second cornerback, but it looks like now they have circled in on Isaiah Rubin, who they offered quite a while ago, but the communication wasn't really there. I went to see him a couple weeks ago, and he told me that Dante Williams and him have been talking heavily over the last several, several months. And he did come out to the game. I believe he came out for the San Jose State game. That's his only visit so far. He has not taken an official visit to USC. I believe he hasn't taken any official visits to any of his final four teams. So maybe we'll see an official visit in the next couple of weeks here for him. Again, he's committing on October 20th. So maybe we'll see some traction there with some visits picking up for him. But has not visited USC heavily. Definitely not taking an official visit. But right now, USC is the school to beat out of this top four. USC looks like they are trending to add another cornerback to their class and back up to two local cornerbacks in the 2024 cycle.
0: Yeah, USC has two cornerback commitments right now. Marcellus Williams, but you also forget about Braylon Conley. So I think it was a
1: safety a lot of the times. That's my fault.
0: Yeah, he's being recruited as a cornerback and uh, came out for an unofficial visit. I think it was the Nevada game. I believe he came out for an unofficial visit. Yes. So he's pretty solid with USC, uh, another three star cornerback. But USC had been looking for potentially three cornerbacks. There is a little bit of a blurred line there as to, you know, who might be able to play nickel, who's actually being looked at to play field or boundary corner in the system but you know a very strange recruitment for isaiah rubin because out of the gates during the early winter period he was kind of a name that was pretty high highly regarded coming out Mm -hmm. of desert pines high school and then we watched him at, at a few seven on sevens was not very active didn't really do a whole lot in those events and then Later on in the spring into the summer, we didn't see him at all. Like he was basically, you know, completely out of sight, out of mind as a recruit. And at that point in time, USC was all in on Dakota Fields. They were all in on modern day four star safety Zavian Brown. Uh, they were recruiting several other players very heavily and out of state. It became very clear you know, kind of going into the June period where you're starting to schedule official visits that they were not getting much traction out of state for some of those top players. So it really started to become about, okay, you need to get two out of the three, Xavier Brown, Dakota Fields and Marcellus Williams. They were at least able to get Marcellus Williams at one point in time, as Chris mentioned, Dakota Fields was committed to USC. So you get two out of three. It's like, okay, that's great. You know, that's that's a solid class. That's very good. Uh, and then unfortunately, just you know, a month or so later, Dakota Fields decides to flip and go to Oregon. I know USC had still remained in some amount of contact with Dakota Fields and there was still some push there. I don't think they ever really, you know, completely broke off contact. But I think over the last few weeks, beginning of the season, I think there's been less interest there, less interest reciprocated from Fields and Brown. And this is where you see the pivot. You know, to Isaiah Rubin. Um, we had talked to Isaiah Rubin a couple times here and there, and you did get the vibe that there really wasn't a lot of serious contact by USC, and that's been a bit more recent. So at this point, the projection, because, you know, he was just unofficially at USC. Hasn't been to Utah officially, hasn't been to Oregon. I don't know how hard Oregon is really recruiting him. I don't really even know with Colorado, you know, what's the, the, the conversation there. But I think Utah and USC right now are probably recruiting him the hardest. So, yeah, it projects that it's USC. Uh, from my sources, it's a take for USC at this point in time. And, again, I don't think that was necessarily true uh, maybe a month or so ago. Uh, so there has been a little bit of change there. And um USC, you know, still talking to some other players. Uh Siona uh Lualea is another player that's still uncommitted, but maybe a little more of a safety nickel prospect at 6'4, 195 pounds, just watching on film at a San Mateo junior college, uh junior college. He's eh, I don't know if he's a pure co- uh, quarterback you know, and it kind of gives me a little bit of those Traquan Figgins vibes in terms of being a bigger defensive back that can play one-on-one man coverage here and there, but that's not necessarily his strength. You want him to be um, playing in space and with his eyes, you know, sort of forward. So I think with uh, Ruben, that's definitely a, a quarterback prospect for USC, not the biggest cornerback in the world I'd say he's probably 5'10 ish Um, Mm -hmm. in terms of evaluation you know not a lot to be said there either Um, haven't seen a lot from his junior film most of the highlights that we've seen most of the clips that we saw uh, from him are from his sophomore season at Desert Pines Um, you were able like I said to see or you said uh, to see him at Los Alamitos and um, I think we maybe see him one other time at Los Alamitos I don't know. Did you get any kind of vibe as to, you know, what he looked like? Um, I know he had a good game against Lucerna. Obviously not great competition there uh, against Lucerna. He was a a fairly decent kickoff returner uh, for Desert Pines when he was over there. I don't know if he returns kicks uh, for Los Alamitos. I haven't seen any film of him returning kicks.
1: Unfortunately, I wasn't able to get a full kind of Focus my myself on Isaiah Rubin because I went out there to see Helaman Kasuga, and obviously I'm tracking the quarterback most of the time through my viewfinder, so it's, it's kind of hard to to get a sense of other players in the field, especially a defender when I'm focusing on the quarterback. But, you know, he, he is athletic. You know, he played cornerback, safety, and wide receiver at Desert Pines, and he was a really good or a decent uh, special teams player as a returner. Uh, I did talk to him after that game, and uh, yeah, I, you mentioned I kind of got the vibe, you know, that this was definitely kind of like a wait and see kind of deal. I wish I had more to offer as far as an evaluation on the field. I do remember him being uh, decent at tackling. I do remember him, you know, be, not being afraid of you know going in and making the hit because uh, obviously they were throwing it down the field, and he he would make he he was making some tackles and some hits and. He was not afraid to uh, put his hat down and, and hit somebody. I do remember that. But I think we are going to send uh five-stars only Jared Perez out to Los Alamitos this weekend. Although that is up to Gerard as he is our coordinator for high school football coverage. So we'll see where he ends up sending, sending him off to. But I think Los Al would be a good one so we can get a little more on-field evaluation of Mr. Isaiah Rubin.
0: Yeah, that's a Thursday game. I kind of forget who they're playing. I want to say they're playing someone from Southern orange County, but I remember off the top of my head um, that it's going to be a Thursday game. So yeah, we'll probably get JP out there, get some ISO film, see a little bit more of what he's developed like physically and just, you know um, it's tough. You know, some cornerbacks, it's not their fault. They just don't get the ball thrown at them yeah. a whole lot as well. So you got to play against some teams that will throw the ball around and um, You know, if they don't throw the ball and they're, you know, using a little RPO, it is good to be able to get some type of feel as to what they are like tackling in space. Because as we've spoken on this podcast in the past, the cornerbacks nowadays in in modern day football have become so much more of run support and containment guys because you're stretching the game out. Horizontally in college, so much more with bubble screens and tunnel screens. And there's a lot more there uh, that the quarterback is reading at the line of scrimmage. And if they think that the cornerbacks are playing off uh, and they can get some cheap yards, then they'll just throw the ball out there. And so you got to be able to come up in space and make those tackles. Sometimes you've got blocks that you be, have to be able to negotiate to make those tackles. So, you know, possibility, a little more of evaluation there. Uh, even if they're not playing against a team that's uh, necessarily a, a great passing team, they may still be comfortable throwing the ball behind the line of scrimmage a little bit, and you can get some evaluation uh, points there.
1: The answer is Fountain Valley, Gerard. Fountain Valley is who they're playing.
0: Yeah, I don't know. Fountain Valley, I don't really have a reference for what Fountain Valley is doing this season. I don't think they're necessarily uh, projected to beat Los Alamitos in that game, but yeah, I don't know. That's a, that's a league game, I would think, right? Yes, it's a league
1: yeah. game smoke.
0: Yeah, we saw, you know, Los Alamitos saw a lot last year. And obviously, uh, Isaiah Rubin wasn't a part of that squad. But, you know, we went out to see uh, T.A. Cunningham quite a few times. And, um, you know, when they had Malachi Nelson and they had Makai Lemon. And so, you know, they've got uh, some talent there at Los Alamitos. And uh, you've also got... Tron Baker there, who's already committed to USC in the 2026 class, who is not playing this season uh, due to a leg injury. Uh, but, um, you know, we'll be able to get out there and uh, maybe uh, chat a little bit with Tron and then uh, get some more ISIL film of Isaiah Rubin. And like I said, see where he's at right now in terms of, you know, it. One of those things, like at those events, the seven on seven events, you know, he's playing on all star team and you've got several other players. He's playing across from Marcellus Williams uh, on those premium teams. And so, you know, you're focused on Marcellus Williams or you're focused on, uh, I think, um, Jason Mitchell was on a couple of those squads. Jason Mitchell jumped all over the place. He was on California Power. Then he was on this squad and that squad. But you had several other players. Uh, that were on those teams, and Isaiah Rubin just kind of got lost in the mix, from what I remember. And so, you know, we'll see what he's like playing against, you know, playing away from the football. And you know, you kind of want to see effort. And you kind of want to see just, you know, how involved are you trying to be? Because as quarterback, you can completely take yourself out of a game as well. You know, you can really decide that you're not going to be super involved. That they're just not going to throw the ball at you. You want to see, you know, a, a defensive back that kind of wants to break away from. Uh, Maybe man coverage if he sees the ability to peel off and make a play on a a poorly thrown ball. Um, You know, Just trying to affect the game as much as possible, even though the offense is trying to take you out of the game. So, yeah, we'll see uh, if we are able to get uh, a little bit more on him uh, this week. Let's
1: transition into a little bit of USC college football, Gerard. Not necessarily recruiting, but a little bit of recruiting. And we're talking about the USC versus Arizona State recruiting angle. We usually have it on the second half of the show, but I wanted to bump it up here to the first half of the show, and this can kind of take up the majority of our first half before we go into the break. But USC had their first road contest in Tempe, Arizona. They survived the Sun Devils 42-28. The spread was somewhere around, oh, I don't know, 34 points. But USC managed to escape with a 14-point win. Obviously, it was not the cleanest game for the Trojans. They struggled on offense just slightly. And, you know, a lot of teams would love to take an off night for USC's offense, which was still 42 points and five touchdowns from Caleb Williams with Marshawn Lloyd running all over the Sun Devils. Defense gave up 28 points, and this was a game in the second half. This was a one-score game at one point, and USC needed to pull it out at the end. Got some big field goals from Dennis Lynch. And then some big touchdowns from Taj Washington and Brendan Rice, who's now scored in five consecutive games, seven scores across five games. He had a big night in his return to his home state of Arizona. But USC survives Arizona State, and now they are 4-0, 2-0 in the conference. But it wasn't the most satisfying of wins,
0: Gerard. It was a very 2022 October-ish win for USC. Last season, they had that stretch where they had Arizona State, that Arizona, that Cal, that several games where they sort of were getting past that initial push, you know, in the beginning of the season and they had got past the Utah game, and you kind of looked at it at, okay, this is a stretch of the schedule where you can rest some of your starters, some of your guys have been banged up over the course of the first few games and get some of your young guys, some reps, right? Develop some depth where you can get some of your young guys on the field, give them some confidence and make that push towards the end of the season. And unfortunately every one of those games was competitive for USC. And this felt like one of those games again in Arizona state last year, didn't have a coaching staff. They had some injuries They came into USC, had nothing to lose and they played USC pretty tough. And this was a very similar type of game where you know, nobody gave Arizona state a chance really to even cover the spread. And they came in with a backup quarterback They came in with a backup offensive line and uh, they played pretty carefree and were able to make some big plays on USC's defense, which has been par for the course, particularly in the second half. Um, we had seen USC's defense early in the season and, you know, they're definitely more talented up front than they were a season ago. I I think despite the struggles against Arizona State, and it's a very odd thing to say because when you look at the statistics, they had eight sacks and a dozen tackles for losses and a couple turnovers. So you look at that statistically, you say, well, that's, I mean, that indicates a pretty good defensive performance. And they didn't play bad in the first half outside a couple big plays. But in the second half, you know there were some some breakdowns, and I think, you know, it's more of the same, and that's the concerning thing is that you have better players now. I think that there's no argument there. You've got Bear Alexander, you've got uh, Keon Bars. you've got Jamil mohammed you've got Anthony Lucas, and you've got Mason Cobb in the middle, uh, who is a tested veteran linebacker, second team, all big 12. And now you don't really have the excuses that you had a year ago where you could say, well, Rayland Goldforth was was uh, you know, just not that great. And he was a clay Helton holdover. And then you had Shane Lee in there who's really just a two down linebacker. And again, that's not somebody that this staff recruited so on and so forth. But now you've got Mason Cobb in there who was extremely productive at Oklahoma State a year ago. Uh, a guy that had like some kind of record for like tackles for losses within games. And he has been flat-footed, taking bad angles uh, on more than one occasion this season. And I made a reference in the What We've Learned piece that we wrote back to spring ball. And I've mentioned this on the podcast, and it just was one of those things that, it was the first play from scrimmage for the first team defense and it's a kind of simple handoff that wasn't terribly different than the score on third and ten when cameron scadabo comes in and it's it's just a simple handoff to the right and he reads inside the linebackers throw themselves at the line of scrimmage and really looks like there's no technique there there's no rhyme or reason it's basically just Mason Cobb running at the line of scrimmage, running no alignment, gets blocked. Eric um, Gentry sort of gets sucked in and gets blocked, and they're in that white water of the offensive line with not a ton of push from the defensive line. Jamil Muhammad on the right side comes free, but there's a little bit of a read action. There's a little mesh there, so he has to keep an eye on that that quarterback. Now you could argue, well, he's got to pinch down a little bit and, and not you know, leave such a hole there. But you got a 5'10", 225-pound running back who takes a third and 10 into the end zone for 15 yards untouched. And probably one of the biggest issues with that play is you've got All-American, first-team All-American safety, Caleb Bullock, running up to the line of scrimmage to replace basically the second tier of the defense. At that point, the second level of the defense, which was your middle linebackers, is now in that first level. And they're caught in that maelstrom. And you have Kalen Bullock, who's, who's trying to make a read. Now, Kalen Bullock, I've been told by more than one NFL scout, he's probably going to be looked at as a cornerback by the NFL. You know, They're going to have to see what he does in the combine, how much weight he, he gains in the offseason. But right now, profile-wise and mentality-wise, he's a bit more of a coverage guy and might be looked more as a cornerback uh, by the NFL. And he comes up and he looks exactly like Mason Cobb did in that spring ball game. First rep from scrimmage. Austin Jones takes the ball right. He's looking to hit what is either the A-gap or probably the B-gap there. And I think it's at that point Solomon Tulio-Pupu who kind of crashes down a little bit recklessly. Loses all containment. And Cobb comes up and he's basically trying to fill the gap. But now he's also got to contain, and there's just no way he can do that. Uh, Austin Jones makes a nice lateral move and just runs around him for 20 yards. Easy, easy 20 yards. You don't want to see that kind of easy 20 yards. And you've you know heard all offseason about how USC's defense got to be better, got to be better. And that's the first play from scrimmage. And it really gave me flashbacks when you see Scadaboo come in and just make a little lateral move and just run free because – Kalen Bullock comes up and it's just flat footed. It takes a bad angle. And I would say, you know, Mason Cobb, Kalen Bullock, you've got Tackett Curtis there, four-star, linebacker, freshman. You know, it's sort of like every sort of player that you're plugging in at those positions to make those plays or not making those plays. At some point, you stop questioning the personnel and you start questioning the personnel decisions and the utilization of that personnel and this has been something that obviously trojan fans have been you know being for they've been beating that drum on the defensive coordinator and alex grinch and you know the defense in the scheme and i think the more we see mason cobb well again in a completely different scheme successful playing like he's just forgotten how to play mike linebacker it is very concerning from a schematic standpoint it's a it's concerning from a play calling standpoint These guys are looking at their wristbands, and they're making calls, and they're trying to adjust to what the offense is doing at the line of scrimmage. The whole process now, it it becomes a bigger question mark because it's no matter who you're putting in there. And I feel like Rajon Davis played the best of that group when USC's being super aggressive because he actually has some pass rush uh, natural ability because he did it so much in high school. But the other guys are not so much used to that. And uh, it it doesn't matter, though. I think every one of those players has struggled and and found issues. And so, again, it's like no matter who you're plugging in there, you're not seeing the type of results that you need to see. And so that's a a big issue for USC right now. Their second-tier, second-level defense is not playing well, and that has been a trend. And it's concerning because it's – At this point in the season, you don't know how much you're really going to be able to improve that. You can be less aggressive and have your guys read and react a little more and not attack the line of scrimmage if, for whatever reason, their eyes or or something is just taking them to the wrong place. And, you know, the argument would be, okay, is Mason Cobb just not fully grasped the defensive scheme yet? Well, if he hasn't grasped the defensive scheme yet... Then why isn't Rashawn Davis playing? Why isn't Shane Lee playing? It looks, you know, you gotta put the guys in there that that know the scheme, right? So it's really one of those things that you you're 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 reaching now for arguments for why these guys are are giving up such big plays and easy plays. And um, so that's a big problem. And when you look at from a recruiting angle and a recruiting standpoint, it's just more of the same why USC is, I mean, it's part of the reason why USC is struggling to get involved with some of these guys in um, the front seven that are national-type recruits. And so, you know, we talk about NIL a lot. We'll give that a break. At the end of the day, something else that is very big and a very big factor to these recruits is the development and to be able to go and play in the NFL. And, um, you know, I think Bull Bullock's going to get drafted. Is he a surefire first-day draft pick? I don't know. I think that's very much up in the air, and and a lot of it has to do with what you saw in that particular play where he's running up the line of scrimmage and replacing that second tier of the defense and just being flat footed taking a bad angle. It's like, listen, man, you know, you're going to have to be in the NFL. You're going to have to come up the line of scrimmage. You have to make plays and tackles, and if you're not physical enough to do that or you just don't have the mentality, then teams are going to be very hesitant, and the question I would have is, okay, so maybe the physicality is not there, what have you, but He's also being put in a position which that's not necessarily his strength. And that would go back to even what we saw last year with some of the defensive end drops and, you know, guys uh, like uh, Tuli Puloto ending up, you know, 15 yards downfield trying to cover a running back or a tight end. You know, it's about setting your players up for success. And so that's continued to be a question uh, among the fan base and among media. And you can sure is bet that it's among the recruits, too, that, that are watching uh, USC play every weekend. And that's, you know, kind of uh, one of the big things that um, has to continue to to change and, and develop.
1: Well, us surprises us that Ray Davis didn't get a single snap in that game.
0: No, not once they went ahead with Mason Cobb. I thought that they were going to ride with Mason Cobb and there wasn't going to be a whole lot of uh, rotation there, you know, and they played Eric Gentry quite a bit. I think Eric Gentry is still a little bit of a question mark. You know, how healthy is he? I see him running sometimes, and I think, yeah, he might not be 100% at this point. Um, But, no, I I wasn't. I I think that, you know, Cobb and Curtis – Cobb and Gentry that has been what they've really tried to, to push I think they really want Cobb and Curtis to be those guys uh in the inside which obviously kind of leaves Eric Gentry as the odd man out and that was you know my big question and my sort of uh I was I was excited to see you know what are you going to do with with Eric Gentry now you know I mean if you can get Tucker Curtis playing full speed and, and, and playing well and, and he knows enough of the defense and you get Mason Cobb in there and he can be the Mason Cobb of Oklahoma State instead of the Mason Cobb that, you know, we've seen in the first game and this past game, um, you know, kind of gives you a little bit of, uh, you know, sort of found money with with Eric Gentry, you know, what what you can use with them. We haven't really seen anything uh, dynamic, you know, they've kind of just basically put him in there at will or Mike. And he's just kind of a rotational player, at linebacker, which is surprising because, I mean, this is a creative defense and they are trying to be disruptive. I think philosophically, there are questions that, you know, they're just kind of trying to get out there and trying to get some turnovers and trying to win some possessions. They're not really trying to stop anybody. Um, They're not playing bend but don't break. They're not, you know, trying to play really uh, between the 20s and just you know forcing offenses to have to play really well, they are prone to just giving up big plays because they're trying to make big plays themselves. And so, yeah, there's some stunning. There's a lot of blitzing going on, and it's just like, hey, you know what? We just want to get out there, and if we can create enough turnovers, it's going to give our offense the ability to get more possessions, and they're just going to score every time they get the ball. And then that is going to sort of, it it becomes a little bit of a um, a snowball effect, you know, where the opposing offense feels more and more pressure uh, as the USC offense begins to score and you get behind and become more one-dimensional. And then, you know, as a defense, it becomes easier to defend that offense because they become more one-dimensional. And this is something that philosophically, I'm, I'm hesitant to make this comparison because, People take it too literally and kind of uh, they don't they don't appreciate the nuances. But, you know, the Chip Kelly offenses at Oregon were very similar in terms of their philosophical approach. Now, that was a run offense. It was a it was a different type of offense completely. But from a philosophical standpoint, those teams had some pretty bad defenses. Nick Aliotti was not a very good defensive coordinator. And you would watch those defensives get gashed constantly, constantly. The only time they had decent defenses is when they were stacked with NFL guys. They had a couple of years there where they ended up getting some really good defensive front players. They had Eric Armstead. They had uh, DeForest Buckner. They had quite a few guys in um, a couple of those teams. And that was usually when they were able to get a little further along. And, uh, and, and and get to the, the college football playoffs or, or get to a national championship game because they actually did have really good defensive talent. But the scheme itself is sort of the – you know, philosophically the approach was we're just going to go out there and kind of be disruptive and make flash plays. Teams are going to get lots of yards on us. Teams are going to move the ball up and down on us. We're going to give up some big plays and some scores. And some games – it's going to look like we're just trying to outscore the other team. It really is basketball. It's not going to be, we're going to shut down this other offense. It's more, we're just looking to be opportunistic. And if we can get our offense a couple more possessions, they're going to run up and down the field. Now, obviously football's changed, you know, in recent years. And that type of offense approach is now, no longer is it extreme because a, you've got substitution rules Uh, B, now you have even less time that uh, you have on the clock, so you're not able to squeeze out as many possessions. And so some things have changed, and I think they've definitely changed towards the offenses that are um, a bit more possession cognizant and the defenses that are able to actually make stops, you know, in between the 20s, and you're not uh, necessarily just kind of Throwing a bunch of different stuff and different looks up, and hoping that you know at one of those points you're going to get lucky and you'll get an interception or you'll get a sack or, or what have you. But yeah, USC just it kind of seems like a pattern at this point, a year and and you know a few games in that uh they're they're it's not the P. Carroll approach, you know, you're not going to just see a bunch of sort of man under and it's going to be conservative and it's like, listen, we got really good players up front, we're going to let these guys cook. And and you're going to be forced to beat us like you're going to have to go Aaron Rodgers, 26 straight completions to be able to be in the game with us in the fourth quarter. And, um, you know, there was some teams that could push USC like that, but most of them could not. And, you know, USC would would eventually shut them down. They would get close to uh, the red zone. And then and then that was at the point where Pete would probably throw something out there, a little exotic, a little blitz or something, knock you out of field goal range. And that was it, you know. That was your position. But this is obviously a different mentality, and so um, I think the expectations that you know USC is going to go out there and maybe dominate some of these teams, um, you know, they're 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 probably a little misplaced at this point.
1: I was going to ask because you were talking about it, and it kind of sounded like you were saying. I think you identified what I was asking, but I was like, does this defense have? a straight identity or an identity to this defense. And then you kind of answered it, but it wasn't a, uh, I think what you're saying is right. And I haven't really thought of it like that, but it does seem like a defense that's just, and it explains why Alex Grinch is so aggressive. Sometimes just being aggressive for the sake of being aggressive and not necessarily uh, a smart choice to be aggressive at, at times. Or there, there's some reasons there's sometimes where you're like, why are you calling, an all-out blitz on third and 20 or when you should just be playing for the sticks and not the first down and and stuff like that. So what you're saying makes sense in terms of them just going out there and just trying to steal possessions to get back for the offense. It it, it, it makes perfect sense what you're saying. But in the same sense, it, it feels like this defense would be a lot better if they could figure out what's going on with their linebackers. But I just had the idea of asking you what the identity is for this defense and you kind of answer
0: that. Yeah. And I think, you know, going back to the original premise of this entry is, you know, from a recruiting standpoint, the problem is you're going to leave some of your players hanging out to dry at certain points. And, you know, they may look like Kalen Bullock did on that particular play where he comes up he's flatfooted and it's just like okay yeah you you kind of set him up to fail to a certain extent Mason Cobb spring game like how is he supposed to make that play how how are you as a mike linebacker you're going to run up you you cannot give up the middle you can't get too wide because you may get gashed right up the middle and as a mike linebacker that's always sort of imprinted in your head. Like you don't give up the inside. You don't give up the inside on the pass. You just don't give up the inside. So he's trying to fill that gap. But at the same time, that whole side of the field, that whole right side of the field, there's nobody there. The the receivers have run off, the cornerbacks. It's just there's nobody there. And he just looks bad. And that is not good from a recruiting standpoint because from a development standpoint, people look at that and go, oh, well, He's slow or he's this and he's that. it's like, again, Mason Cobb is the guy that we can kind of hold out there because he came from a different scheme and was very successful in that scheme. And now in this scheme, he looks like he's just lost sometimes. And, And again, maybe he is to some extent. Maybe there's some mistakes being made here. But then that automatically goes on to the question of, okay, you've got some guys behind him that are supposedly decent players, why are they not ready to play? You know, there's a development question that comes with that. So you're kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't, when your guys are not playing well and they're giving up those type of plays and they're keeping other teams in the game, which, you know, expectation-wise, no one thinks that they should be in the game at that point. And again, that goes back to last year, and it goes back to the stretch that they had where, you know, there was Cal, there was Arizona State, there was Arizona, all those games. It's like at some point you're waiting for USC to just kind of, you know, shut the door and pull away, and it never happened. And my speculation is maybe it's just not going to happen because it's not supposed to happen. You know, USC is sort of playing that game where they're going to go back and forth, go back and forth, and it's just about stealing a couple positions. Now, one of the big issues with that is you run in – to the inherent issue of winning winning games with offense only. And offense, there's a lot more moving parts. Schematically, there's a lot more going on. And so even the best offenses tend to have a couple games during the season where they're just off, you know, for whatever reason. You know, the, the offensive line had bad tacos the night before. The, the quarterback's uh, girlfriend broke up with him. Um, you know, somebody was out too late, whatever it is. You know, we've seen it even in the peak era, where the offense just came out. And it's like, what happened, man? You're so flat. You've got so many good players, but you're struggling right now. And we saw that with uh, the offense against Oregon State last year. So you're always due for that offensively at least a couple times a season. And that, at that point, you're going to have to rely on your defense to be able to, to, to play to where they could stop teams. You know, it's not just hey, we're going to go back and forth, going back and forth, and we're going to hope to get some some turnovers, and we're just going to try to be disruptive. You got to actually, you know, hold teams from, from being able to go up and down the field, and they were able to do that against Oregon State, and that was one of those things where we're like, oh wow, okay, I mean, this is this is actually a very good football team. They, they're a little more well-rounded than we thought, um, but this defense has yet to really show when their back is really completely against the wall. And the offense isn't being able to move the ball that they can. They, they can be that defense, and still, even if you are that defense and you are that team, is that a championship team? Is that a team that's actually going to be able to win playoff games? That's very debatable. Because when you start to play good teams that are really balanced all around, you know the whole thing about like, yeah, we're just going to go and you know we're going to score, we're going to score, and it just seems so easy against everybody until you actually play a team that has good defense, and they have good athletes on the other side of the field. This was the first game that USC saw some athletes. You know, Arizona State is not a good football team. Arizona State lost to Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State lost to, was it, South Georgia or something like that? I mean, South Alabama, some team that like, they think they, they lost to them. So, you know, I think with all of the, the, the backup Players and what have you. We know Arizona State's not a good team, but they do have some athletes here and there. You know, Drew Pine obviously was starting for Notre Dame last year playing against USC. This is the interesting thing. And, and really the bright side here, the, the good news is that at least from a wins-loss standpoint, USC got a bit humbled and they didn't lose the game. Um, they see that they've got work ahead of them, they got their first road taste. You know, in their mouth, and that's a, a, a kind of a surprising thing. That you know, Arizona State they get shellacked by Fresno State, and you're thinking, okay, well, Sun Devil fans are kind of over this team, right? That game was sold out. I mean, people were like, they were ready to go see USC lose.
1: It's USC, and baby. They were I waiting.
0: There was a little bit of that. It's USC, and so whatever. You know, we're gonna go uh, support our team. And um, I think that was kind of a little bit of a surprise maybe to USC. I don't know if they realized like there was going to be an actual home field advantage for Arizona State. Now, we know there's going to be a home field advantage for Colorado. So that was a good primer. You know, it was uh, I think I called it, you know, the primer for primetime. And and it and it progressively gets more difficult, you know, because you're going to be at Colorado then you're going to be at Notre Dame. And eventually you're going to have to go to Oregon. And that just kind of it. It it goes up the trajectory of that difficulty playing on the road is going to go up, 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 but gradually. So, you know, it's not like they're getting thrown into the fire here and it's like, okay, you got to play, you know, Oh, San Jose state, Nevada. And Oh yeah. you are going to play in Tuscaloosa third game of the season. It's like, Whoa, you know, that's, that's jumping up the deep edge, but here you are getting sort of this gradual uh, acclimation to teams that are a little better, a little more talented, a little faster, and now you got Colorado, Colorado's got plenty of issues, and we'll probably talk about that a little bit. But this is a sort of, um, you know, going up uh, gradually here, and, and competition-wise, athletic-wise, being tested a bit more. So this was a good, from that standpoint, from that perspective, this was a good game for them. I mean, it would have probably not been quite the um, preparation if USC would have went in here and, and beat them forty-two to six. You know, just not had any instances where, you know, they're they're in a touchdown game in the fourth quarter. Um, You you would like to be prepped for that to some extent before, you know, it becomes like, okay, we got to go play a team that can actually beat us.
1: And look, I agree with Lincoln Riley's statement about how in college specifically, it's really tough to win on the road. Home teams win about 70 percent of time in the college game. So I acknowledge that it is tough. To win on the road, especially when you wear, you know, the cardinal and gold, you have the the Trojan on your helmet. Teams are gearing up to play you. You're going to get every team's best shot. This is their Super Bowl and whatnot. So I I do agree with that that element of playing on the road, where there's a lot more intensity, there's a lot more pressure because you are USC. You're supposed to to beat Arizona State by 30 plus points or, or what have you. But hey, credit to Arizona State and Kenny Dillingham. They they came out and. They did whatever they could to move the ball against USC and, you know, USC's offense, you know, gifted them a fumble right there in the, in the red zone that to help get that momentum after the three and out the defense had opened with. So it was a good start. I mean, that that first drive was a little herky-jerky by USC standards, but they still scored on the first drive. You hold them to a three and out and then you fumble it right there. Give them the ball, easy touchdown. So you, you open the door for it. You know, if they don't fumble the ball and they go down and score, maybe we're talking about a different game. Maybe they run out to a 20, 20 uh, eight to three lead. And it's, uh it's 35, uh, 10 at halftime. And then, you know, you're running away with it. And then we're, we're not really, you know, having this discussion about this defense and what was me with them. So, yeah, I mean, I, I do agree with you. I think it was a good primer. They got punched in the mouth. You know, one point is 24, 21. I think that, you know, we'll open a lot of uh, eyes for the for that for that sideline when you're on the road and smelling salts of, of sorts for this team to, hey, we got to We got to step it up for next week in, in, in Folsom and we will talk about that game. But, yeah, I do think it was a good little little uh, primer for primetime, as you called it. But, yeah, I, I, I definitely think USC fans are expecting a much better at least handling of the road environment uh, this coming weekend in Colorado.
0: Another odd thing, uh, just from a recruiting standpoint, which I picked up and I was surprised at, I mean, I think this game was like sixth or seventh uh, nationally in terms of TV ratings, which at that time slot, I was very surprised by that. And so, I mean, that's, again, the difference between playing on Pac-12 Network and Fox. Even if it's late, uh, people are still you know going to pick up on the game, just kind of cruising through seeing what's going on. And so that's not a bad thing. I mean, certainly you want to play better defensively, you know, but there's that argument always to be made. We go back, you know, high school recruiting versus transfer recruiting and USC was able after not playing really well last year to pick up some vital transfers. Now, you know, the jury is still out as to the ceiling there with transfers, you know, versus going after uh, high school players, Um, Arizona State not recruiting a lot of guys that USC is recruiting uh, and not certainly the same amount of overlap as we've seen in the past with some of uh, Dennis Erickson's teams and going, you know, kind of way back there. So from that standpoint, they did have uh, a a pretty good group of recruits there, but it was mostly like underclassmen and guys that USC is not even in contact with. So, you know, from that standpoint, uh, not huge for USC recruiting-wise. This week will be much bigger. Um, again, not a lot of overlap here with Colorado and USC. Colorado is kind of taking an interesting approach where they've gone after uh, you know quite a few guys from back east and quite a few guys in Florida. Um, they are recruiting Texas as well, but haven't really had a whole lot of uh, traction there, you know, yet. And, and obviously, you know, Deion Sanders is just there, they're trying to kind of turn this thing around and they're going through some of the, uh, the, the phase that, you know, USC did uh, trying to convince people that uh, this is going to be a program that can win. And this is a program that can develop NFL talent. And uh, you know, they, they, they do have one particular recruit that was committed to USC and that's Aaron Butler. Uh, He was committed to USC earlier in the year and decommit a a cornerback slash receiver. Really, I think USC liked him more as a cornerback and he wants to play wide receiver. And so uh, Colorado, you know, is bringing him in on the offensive side of the ball. But um, not, again, a ton of overlap there. But nevertheless, still a game where you're going to have a lot of eyeballs, you know, and guys that you might not be recruiting, might not be interested in you. Uh, you might be able to get a look from you know, and uh, be able to uh, you know cultivate some some options that weren't necessarily there because some of these guys in Florida are just you know they want to see Dion, they want to see what's going on, and certainly um, you know there's a lot more uh, filthy casuals that are watching Colorado these years just because of the Dion effect. You know, I, I've seen so many titles about Colorado, and it's like you know. Dion's got to get back after such a blowout loss against Oregon and Dion this Dion that. I'm like, Dion's just the coach. Like I understand he's a big part of this whole thing and he's kind of the face of the operation, but (laughs) he's not the one that's got to go out there and play like his sons are out there. They got to play. I mean, Colorado's got a team that's got to go out there and execute. They're the ones that got to go out there in the field. So it is weird dynamic that he is such a celebrity and everybody sort of attaches you know, his name to the identity of the football program, which is a good thing and a bad thing for Colorado, because if he eventually moves on, it's like, oh, my gosh, it's going to be so tumultuous, you know, trying to um, re- recapture, you know, that sort of buzz that he has created. Um, on the other side, it's obviously kickstarted a program that was kind of dead in the water, and, um, you know, they're getting eyeballs that they would have never gotten otherwise.
1: We'll talk more about uh, Dion and Colorado and all that at the end in the second half of our show, which brings me to my next point, Gerard. Let's go into the second half of our show. It's time for our break. Let's get you another Ricola and some water, and you can rest up that vocal cord. Gerard, so we'll be right back after this break. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas.
0: Gerard, how was that break? Uh good. I'm on uh, my second bottle of water and probably my third Ricola. I apologize if you, if I'm, I'm I'm a little bit, uh, I got a little bit of a speech impediment, but I am, you know, tossing these Ricolas around trying to, <laughs> trying to talk. You're with good, them baby. My, Whatever you got to do to get through it, baby. Under I, my I tongue, care. you know, kind of thing. I usually with Ricolas, I usually, uh, I put them on my bottom lip, like they're a dip and, uh, <laughs> just kind of hold them there a little bit. In fact, I went to a practice once and, uh, I had a little bit of a, a sore throat or a cough or something like that uh, years ago. And um, because Ricola's are like, they're like a darkish kind of color or whatever. I remember shocking going, you got chew in your mouth? <laughs> I was like, no, dude. I didn't show up to practice with chew in my mouth. That probably wouldn't have gone over too well. It was just a Ricola. Have you ever done chew? Uh, No, no, no. I've never smoked a cigarette.
1: But you never been like been offered chew? Like I don't know if like I had this idea of like, kids back then or like high schoolers back in like the 80s or whatever were all dipping or they all had
0: well first of all i was not in high school in the 80s but um uh, my uncle chewed uh i had a few people around that that did it but no i was never turned on to it and mainly tobacco just because it's so addicting i was always sort of like i kept it at an arm's distance
1: gerard speaking of kind of like throwing back i did have a surprise for you okay I watched the program.
0: Oh, wow. Well, this is yeah. a good episode to do it because we have so little to talk about. <laughs> that's a good, uh, that's a good uh, entry point into uh, college sports movies that uh, there's plenty of quotes in that movie. Now, I know you don't have the nostalgia for it that I do because we used to freaking watch that damn movie like every pregame. But uh, what did you think of it?
1: Yeah, so let me just start off by saying, like, I do realize I'm watching it through the lens of, like, someone who didn't grow up with that movie. You know, I wasn't, you know, watching it as, uh, like you would say, like, all the time. And I ran into people at the uh, the tailgate uh, at ASU, and I told them I watched the program and I was going to bring it up on the show. And they said, you know, we would watch that movie all the time before, like, two days and stuff like that. So I understand it has, like, a very stronghold on People play football back then, and, and so I understand that. But I will say, I was entertained by the movie. I, I watched it with my roommate. We were very entertained by it. Uh, it is a very 90s movie, I will say. It is a very, very 90s movie. And there was a lot, I wrote down some stuff about it. Uh, but for the most part, I did enjoy it. I, I could see why, you know, if I was a, someone growing up at that time and, you know, I was into sports and I was into football how this movie could be – it would be like my Friday Night Lights. Like that is the movie for me growing up that I watched all the time in terms of football, which is ironically our next point is Friday Night Lights. But, yeah, I can see like perhaps this is your Friday Night Lights in terms of that that football movie that had a hold on you growing up.
0: Yeah, I mean it definitely had its – there was a lot to it. You go, that's so fake and that's not real. (laughs) You know, know, there was those sort of over-the-top movie – type of moments where it was over uh, dramatized, but um, it was kind of one of the first movies that was like a football movie that wasn't a comedy. I mean, a lot of football yeah. movies, you go back and they're comedies and this was a little more about the sort of over the top, uh, you know, toxic masculinity as they call it these days. And um, there were some interesting points in it though. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of sort of, um, You know, little nods to, you know, the cheating and the boosters Mm -hmm. and and that kind of thing that, you know, blue chips, that movie with basketball gets into that much more. Um, But there was still a little bit of hint to that and, you know, how things went behind the scenes. And uh, it was kind of a precursor to any given Sunday, you know, and how they tried to kind of look into the human interest aspect of uh, the franchise and the, the people behind the scenes of the franchise with ownership and the relationship with the coach, et cetera. Well, from, you know, there was a little bit of that going on with the program and um, uh, the, you know, the defensive lineman whose name escapes me, that was on roids and that whole situation where you know, Latimer Latimer. Yeah. Yeah. Place at the table, baby. Um, <laughs> he, he, you know, that starting that, defense. Yeah. That was kind of an interesting, um you know aspect of the movie that that it touched on and um grades and things of that nature and being slipped a couple hundred bucks as a freshman because you scored you know a couple of touchdowns and yeah there was a lot of sort of uh dynamics there with with things that go on you know behind the scenes with football and again there are plenty of like just silly moments and what have you but um it was a little more serious and um there was some good moments some 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 good dialogue and. Uh, uh, yeah. Kind of like opened your eyes to, you know, college football and things that may, you know, go on and behind the scenes, which, you know, at some point you get in the business and you start actually covering college football. And initially you're like, oh, yeah, that stuff's so fake. And then you're like, you're you're blown away, you know, years later where you're going, like, some of the, yeah, I kind of see where they got some of that stuff from. Like, I, I, I see where that sort of seed of truth <laughs> exists in that scene, you know, like it's overplayed for the movies. But yeah, I kind of see what's going on here.
1: Yeah, they, they definitely heighten some things, which is you know obviously it's Hollywood, it's it's the movies. I, I get it, but you did you know see those nuggets of truth throughout the movie. Uh, can I just read you some of the like points I just wrote uh, down while I was watching this movie?
0: Yeah, I want to hear uh, the the uh, this would be the uh, takeaways, right? This would be like the, yeah,
1: sort of takeaways. Some of these are funny, some of these are, are you know actual points. I did want to ask you on the thing. I mean, first off, is this supposed to be Florida State? I got Florida State vibes. That's
0: that's the vibe that I always got cuz yeah. Florida State at this time was big time. You know, Florida State Bobby Bowden. Now, James Conn doesn't give you Bobby Bowden vibes at all. I mean, they could have definitely no, gone no. in a different direction. Uh, R.I.P. to James Conn, R.I.P. Yeah, and uh and Bobby Bowden as well. Um I think, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes, Pretty sure yes, he yes, passed yes, away. Yes, yes, um uh, but uh yeah, so like I mean, there was a lot of instances where you go oh they could have really gone way harder into being like florida state um but you know with the colors and everything you yeah you kind of got a little bit of that that florida state vibe and and that would have probably been the team that i mean everybody associated with that movie
1: for sure for sure and i don't know why just with james con i the vibe i got just like watching it like the first person i thought of was Jimbo Fisher and I'm not really sure why. Obviously Jimbo was at Florida State, but it was like the first modern coach that came to mind. I don't know if you feel like that's way off base.
0: No, I didn't, I'll be honest with you. I didn't love James Caan. I didn't really love Al Pacino in any given Sunday either. I felt like their characters in other movies were too built up in my head already. I felt like they could have gone for a fresher take there you know somebody who was kind of newer that you know really made that character different um
1: i'm gonna be honest i thought james Con would be in it more i thought it would focus more on the coaching side but it was more the, the i thought it would be more like 50 yeah. 50 but it was more like 70 30 oh yeah definitely players, the, the yeah.
0: quarterback and his stuff going on and um, the, the freshman running back and Latimer and, um, you know, the, uh, the starting linebacker that, you know, hurts himself and everything that, yeah, there was definitely more through the eyes of the players and the disassociation from the university with the players as well. And how, how little of the school there is going on in that, right? Like there's just like, even with blue chips, there's more of those scenes where like they're in school and you kind of are like, okay, so how, yeah, how do these guys really juggle everything? with uh with program i don't even remember them really being in school very much you know i remember it being all basically football a lot of
1: tutors a lot of tutors
0: yeah and sort of uh, oh yeah that yeah because the the one that was one of the issues is the the running back that was the uh senior running back and then the freshman comes in and then yeah the, the the tutor there they have that little bit of a love triangle going on um but yeah it was all sort of always linked in with you know the football team and the 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 relationships within the locker room which again it's it's Hollywood, so it's like so, you know, extremes. You know, every guy's got like this crazy character. I guess, I don't know. That's why I felt like James Conn was kind of James Conn. You know, he was like, okay, <laughs> I've seen him in The Eraser. I've seen him, like, in a lot of those movies, he was just, just kind of the same guy. I didn't really get a vibe. I almost got the freaking the elf vibe from him in that movie. Like, well, kind of the same how, dude.
1: That's how my generation knows James Con. It's the dad from Elf. But the big that's. CEO from
0: elf. How he's he's so dismissive and disinterested in, his uh, in entertaining yeah any <laughs> sort of conversation with any issue. That's pretty much how he is in the elf, <laughs> right? I mean, this, he's right. just like I don't want to deal with this right now. Like I got. <laughs> Putting pushing, stories. kicking the can down the road. Um,
1: early in this movie, you know the uh, the like scarecrow noose hanging of the coach was wild. That's a wild opening scene to to do that. Obviously, it's the '90s, so it's very different. But like doing that today would like never happen. Um, bringing your QB on the recruiting trail to recruit the the five-star running back, you can't do that, Gerard.
0: Yeah, right. I mean, again, there, there's there's those things where you realize they don't understand the recruiting process, and they had somebody consulting that. I know they didn't listen to, which just sometimes happens because they're like, hey, man, we just need this guy to be in the scene because this needs to be, you know, like w- w- there's some type of drama that they're trying to convey with that and relationship and everything like that. I did think it was very funny the, you know, the whole trip that he went on and then he gets off the bus and like there's the, I mean, the fact that the starting quarterback, I think, is there to pick him up. Right. I- isn't he there when he gets off the bus for the actual when he's enrolled?
1: Yeah, for the official the visit, football. obviously, he's kind of a host and they have the cheerleaders and that was that was that was actually i feel like that was a good scene because when they hosted him for the official visit and he pulled up in a bus which i thought was funny um then the next time he pulls up because he's enrolled right. he asks the quarterback's like hey where are all the honeys and all the people's like yeah that that's part of the visit which is true you know it's different when you're they do all these things to get you to come, and then when you sign, come, you're just one of the another one of the players.
0: That was good, but they shouldn't even have the starting quarterback there. That was what I didn't like. I was like, that guy wouldn't even be there. Like, he was <laughs> going to be some freaking senior analyst, uh, student worker in a golf cart that's going to maybe come and pick you up. Like, this is not going to be the starting quarterback. He's got no interest in hanging out with you, bro. <laughs> like, you're fine. You're done. So that was kind of like, oh uh, yeah. I mean, they did. They they made that sort of distinction between. Yeah, there's Hollywood and everything. It's funny. I watched the TikTok, and it was a player.
1: You watched the TikTok?
0: I watched. It was actually a YouTube short, but it was taken <laughs> off of TikTok, I think. And it was a player that went to, I think, Purdue. And he was talking about – he's an NFL guy. I, I didn't recognize him and, and was like, whatever. I, I wasn't going to go look it up. But he went to Purdue, and he was talking about his official visit to Purdue and how they had this all oh, this game room set up and everything. And when he actually enrolled and he, he came in, he went to that room and it was empty. There <laughs> were <laughs> <laughs> just tables there. He's like, What the heck, man? Like they completely made up the game room for recruits to make it look like they had this big like player lounge and it it, it didn't really exist. It was like a couple chairs and like a couch, and that was it. All the, it does
1: happen. It does the happen. The big screen
0: TVs and the and the ping pong and the uh the pinball and the arcade and all that, It was all gone. And I was like, That's Purdue, man. That's Purdue. So you can imagine, you know, uh, what other schools are, are trying to pull. But, yeah, that was funny. It was kind of conveyed um, in 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 there, too. But I, I mean, again, they really could emphasize that better and had just some random nobody extra pull up in a golf cart because that's real life. You're like you're you're, you're done now. I mean, in yeah. and, and schools go to the point of I remember Ed Ergeron talking about de recruiting them when they came in it's like all right five star four star guy now you have to sort of throw that cold water on them you have to they, reset it reset yeah, their mindset. yeah yeah we got to, we got to hit a reset and de-recruit them and humble them so they're ready to compete and they realize they've they, they've done nothing at this point like you did that in high school now you've got to start all over a running joke with me and my roommate throughout this movie was that
1: He only had two assistant coaches, Gerard. There was only (laughs) two coaches the entire time. It was the same two coaches. Every time he had to make a decision, those two coaches were there. He only had two coaches and zero belts. Nobody wore a belt in this coaching staff. These three men never wore a belt. That was just a funny thing for me. I did want to ask you about the running back, obviously the hotshot freshman running back, Darnell Jefferson. What – do you have like an evaluation comp on him? Do you have a real-world comparison – for, some, for a running back recruit that actually existed. I actually had one that come to mind. I don't know if you want me to say it.
0: Well, I don't think it actually lines up properly, but I mean, kind of, sort of, could have been like Lorenzo Booker. Because, I mean, if we're staying with the Florida State comparison and he was, like, one of the biggest recruits that they got. Um, they had another kid that came from Louisiana just before him who wasn't really as good. I mean, they were coming away from like the amp Lee days uh, where they they had some really good players and then it like got them to like the top of college football and then they started basically recruiting nationally so they get guys like Chris Ricks, they get guys like Lorenzo Booker and so that always kind of conveyed Lorenzo Booker. I can't remember where Jefferson was supposedly from. I got a vibe for he was from the West Coast though for some reason. And I don't know if that's true or not, but I got the vibe that he was like a West Coast guy, and he was going out. He was—I had the impression he was leaving home for college, and so mm-hmm. I was always yes. kind of thought like it was Lorenzo Booker because he left uh, Saint Bonaventure, Ventura, and uh, you know that was when uh, Florida State was in their heyday, and and he went to Florida State.
1: My real world, comp, real world comp didn't go to Florida State, obviously, but the person that came to mind first, just because. Of his pass catching ability and his speed, I thought of CJ Spiller.
0: Yeah, kind of, sort of. I mean, see, but CJ was super southern. CJ was not Miami, Florida, or Orlando, Florida. He was Alabama, Florida. So, like, you know, those who haven't really been to Florida, there's like Orlando and then there's like Tampa. And then, but there's There's all kinds of everything in between is like more like Alabama than it is those cities, right? So, TJ was very like he's a country kid, you know. And the big, I think I've talked about this before in the podcast. The you have, you have. Big factor in him going to Clemson was evidently uh, Tommy Bowden coming down there with like a the a, a, a team pastor, and they had like um, they had a a, a whole like a, a, I don't know how you would even explain it. They they had church at his house basically. Right. They, they had like a whole sermon and a whole thing. And, and he was like very religious and that kind of spoke to him and his family. And so he, that's you know why he ended up at Clemson. And I don't know how close USC was there. I mean, it, it seemed like he liked USC a lot. But again, when you talk to him and you were around him a little bit, you're like, this dude isn't very L.A. It wasn't like Percy Harvin, who probably could have he could have been L.A. He would have been fine. Uh, Adrian Peterson even though that he was from East Texas and kind of out in the boondocks I got the vibe like he could do LA but there's some dudes that you talk to and you're like man this dude's country like he's used to fishing and you know doing stuff that you just don't do in LA and he might feel a bit like a fish out of water
1: the other point I had was or wrote down what the heck schedule is this team playing they played Mississippi State. They played Texas. They played Michigan. What what is this? What is the what schedule is this, Gerard? Uh, not Georgia's schedule. I don't know. Um, was it, was, it actually Michigan, Michigan? I thought they yes, were like it was actually Michigan, Michigan. It felt like they just picked a random a bunch of random schools and stuck them into a, a schedule.
0: Yeah, i I don't remember. I don't remember that part specifically. I mean, I remember a couple of the games where they played. And then they think they lost that game against Michigan, didn't they? It was real close.
1: They lost at the end, interception at the end.
0: Yeah. Uh, Didn't see
1: the safety or something through the interception.
0: Yeah, and then you get, like, all this drama, you know, behind the scenes with with everything going on. But, I mean, again, they're, you know, it's Hollywood, and you're not going to get, like, this, um, you know, true to nature. But I would say it was better than any given Sunday. I mean, any given Sunday was just, like, over the top with just – nonsense you know and it was like when movies become too much like movies they, there's always that sort of that creative license where they push it too far and you learn you lose the authentic feel of it and you know some movies do it better than others you know some have that sort of michael bay mentality where you got to have an explosion every 10 minutes and then others are a little more subdued and it's like okay it works better but um yeah i think um on the scale of things like one of, one of the more kind of tame football movies, really. I mean, I guess off the top of my head, I can't really think of too many others. I mean, um, you know, Bobby Boucher and, and The Waterboy. And <laughs> again, you know, mostly just um, a lot of uh, kind of comedy type movies or have a lot of comedy in them. This movie didn't really have too much comedy. You know, there was some little dialogue here and there that's like, oh, okay, that's funny. But yeah, for the most part, like there, it, was, it was a little more serious.
1: I wanted to just touch on Alvin Mack really quickly. He was probably my favorite character in this movie. I don't know why. I think the 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 actor did a really good job of making him really funny and down to earth and also this freaking terrifying linebacker and someone I would not want to face obviously on the field. So many great plays, the great scene of, you know, him not, you know, being able to Do simple homework, but able to break down complex defenses in the film room. Uh, What's your assignment here? Uh, Hit the tight end so hard, his girlfriend dies. Uh, Kill everybody. Yeah, really funny, really great. And uh, fun fact, in doing a little research, this uh, character was based on Derek Brooks.
0: Okay, another Florida State guy.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, But also, Willie McGinnis, also a little bit of inspiration for this character he if i recall
0: he's Wyatt davis's dad um i believe uh oh really it, yeah he went to st john bosco yeah and he he'd been at nike camps he'd done a bunch of different things like oh he, my god you you're right he, he he's been around a, a little bit and so um yeah like i think he played the part extremely well and um you know provided some interesting nuance um and certainly you know, there's all these different tropes that you're, like, going over and, and the whole thing of, like, you know, first-round pick, guys, you know, the best, and then, boom, you know, the football's taken away from them. And and then everything sort of is like, oh, my gosh, you know, what what comes with that? Again, you know, the, the blue chips gets a little deeper into that as well, which is kind of interesting, you know, sort of the other side of things when uh, you're not performing and then the booster aspect of it, you know. And um, there is that scene, again, with – with um, Mac and the running back, you know, where the running back gets a, a nice little white. 50 envelope. bucks.
1: He gets 50 bucks, which doesn't seem like a lot. Is it 50? Bu- I thought it was 500 yeah, it's, bucks. No, it's 50 bucks. Okay. He was like, wait. He's like, Mac tells him, like, wait till you start getting like $400. Yeah. And he's like, you yeah. don't deserve this. Let me hold that for you. Exactly.
0: Let me, you know what? You, actually, let me hold that for you. And he's like, uh, <laughs> um, but interesting nonetheless. Like I said, kind of touching on various different tropes of, um, of college football.
1: The are obviously Joe Kane. The Heisman uh, is Joe Kane able, you know, uh, a great play on words. But can you do his famous uh, huddle line? His famous huddle line. I the thing he tells even... the team every time before they lock up the game. Don't even remember it.
0: I don't remember a lot about Joe Kane. wasn't he Was he like an alcoholic or something? I remember. Yeah, he was or, an
1: alcoholic. He had alcohol. He par-
0: he had yeah, I, I mean, he, listen, he was a quarterback, man. We we were we weren't there to watch the quarterback. We were there to watch Latimer, to watch Mac. You know, to watch a little bit of the running back thing going on. You know, it was like you know, are you injured or, or are you hurt? That was the line. Yeah, that that's a great. We line. Always said to each other in two days and in practice, and you know, you get I got smacked once, and. I would I was playing wing back and I came out of the backfield and um, went up for the ball, freaking cornerback pushed me in the back. I was up for the ball, right? Nobody could see that because there was like no refs in practice, but I just like, right when I had the ball, I got pushed and I, and the ball went right through my hands. and the freaking safety came over and just, I mean, I got sandwiched, you know, he's like pushed me kind of into the safety and I got destroyed. And the reason why I know I got destroyed is that when I came to like i didn't i didn't hurt or anything it just went black and when i got up everybody was already in the huddle like ready to break the huddle and i was just getting up off the ground <laughs> and i was like what happened i just lost i just lost like three or four seconds of my life there i don't know what the hell happened i like ran back i go dude did i just get smoked on that play I'm like yeah you got you got i was like how come nobody came over to like <laughs> help me up or anything like there was it was just like crickets so yeah um but yeah, there was always that, you know, well, are you injured? <laughs> no, I think I'm just hurt.
1: Well, his his line that he would tell the team before, you know, the big final play every time was put the women and children to bed and go look for dinner.
0: Let's go looking for F and dinner, I think he said, didn't
1: he? He changed the 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 last <laughs> one. I think the last one he said, Go get F and dinner, which brings me to one of my final points. The slow motion play at the end, you know, obviously he's uh you know, the dramatic scramble, uh Caleb Williams scramble drill find the uh the receiver in the end zone. He fumbles the ball, but I just want to point out that is a forward pass. That should technically be an incomplete pass. My theory is he screwed up in the take, but he kind of like winged it after that, so they just kept it in. But that should be an incomplete pass. He he was the ball was moving forward. He was throwing the ball forward. I just want to point that out, Gerard, uh I forget what the last scene they played is but they got screwed they should have won that game
0: i haven't seen this movie in at least 20 years so yeah don't I'll, don't, I'll watch with it. It. <laughs> don't watch it i remember it was on and i told you it was like on like freebie or something like that on on youtube uh not too long ago and and i think blue chips was on netflix actually not too long ago so that's actually i, netflix. Watched, I
1: Endeavor. watched it on uh i watched a, i watched the program on uh prime it was there prime? for okay.
0: free so uh well,
1: one other thing, that line what you just talked about with getting injured, uh, he fumbles on that play. Obviously, that leads to the whole hang on to the ball bit. I love that they brought it up in the broadcast during the game he came in. But they made it seem like he had a fumbling problem. But he only fumbled once in practice, the first day of practice. But they made it seem like he had this uh, debilitating
0: fumbling issue. But he literally just fumbled once. That, that was him at practice. That was like... You know, curb herb streak and uh, the national team at practice and they actually get to watch yeah. practice a little bit which we don't um but yeah that that was um it was leaked it was inside information there that uh he had some fumbling issues I guess and, and I also and, learned- then, and then he walked around and then he walked around all the way so I do remember that that there was a scene where they' were in this the uh, lecture hall yeah and they hit the ball and they went after the ball i do remember that like, literally i mean this is 20 years ago i have not seen yeah. that movie in such a long time
1: don't do it it'll it'll ruin your your vision of this movie just keep mm-hmm. it as perfect as it was in your head and one of the last pieces of fun fact trivia excuse me i learned about this movie was that a former usc offensive lineman was the one who came and choreographed all the plays for them
0: uh, alan oh, Graf. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Alan Graff. We all know Alan Graff. Alan Graff's son, uh, Kevin, played uh, for uh, USC, and um, he's been in a bunch of movies as well. He was in uh, Deadwood, actually. Um, He was, oh, he was... I'm trying to remember who he was. He was some type of bad guy, some bounty hunter or something, and got shot down in in Deadwood, which was that uh, series on HBO. Another very good flick. That was a really good series, the original... um, with Al Schweringer and um, that's based on Deadwood, uh, the old mining town up in, uh, I think it's South Dakota, the black Hills and uh, pretty gnarly place, man. A lot of, a lot of crazy stuff went uh, down there while Bill Hickok actually got killed there holding aces and eights. So that's the old aces and eights thing. That's a dead man's hand.
1: And one other small detail, the backup quarterback is kicked off the team for using the head coach's daughter to cheat on his test. But it never addresses him suddenly coming back and rejoining the team because Joe Kane is hurt, has to go to rehab. He goes to public rehab, by the way, which is just like put out there and people are covering him leaving rehab. But the backup quarterback, it just never explained how he came back to the team, which I thought was funny. Maybe it was a cut scene. Maybe I missed it, but I'm pretty sure he just like, was. I, the, I,
0: I do feel like there was some type of dialogue with him and James Kahn. And James Con kind of having to eat crow a little bit, and but then like threatening the quarterback at the same time, like there was this weird arrogance, like yeah, oh you need me now, huh? And James Con going, yeah, we do, but uh, if you mess up, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kill you myself. I, I feel like there was like a some scene there. It's possible I missed up, it. It's possible I yeah. missed
1: it. But I remember looking at like my roommate was like, didn't the quarterback get kicked off the team? Didn't the backup? They don't have a backup. So yeah, that's all I got for you fun fun watch i guess i guess blue chips is the next one and then maybe we can talk about that one but thank you gerard for
0: this imprompt uh topic we just uh hit on well thank you i mean we've talked about this longer than we've talked about recruiting if that tells you anything about how recruiting is going right now i hope people enjoyed it
1: i hope people got something out of it and maybe they we converted people to give the movie a watch uh, so with that, let's jump to our next topic, which is Friday night lights. Obviously, I did not go to a game because I was going out of town to uh, Arizona State, even though I left on a Saturday, a booking issue. But I decided to you know rest myself for my for my long weekend. And I'm glad I did because I only slept like two hours in the last. I only slept
0: two hours over the course of 24 hours. It was it was wild. Nice. Yeah, we were uh, it was a really light schedule last week a lot of teams on buys interestingly everybody's talking about usc having that you know week three buy um which is not really week three for them but for the rest of college football uh nevertheless a lot of buys and there's actually a lot of buys this week too for college football so it's like um it's it's not as strange as people have talked about it being uh for for sc when you kind of look at uh florida state i think ohio state's got a buy this week and this is. You know, technically the same week that, you know, USC would have their buy. So uh, with high school football, they've got buys as well. And um, you had a lot of teams that were actually on the road. One of those teams, St. John Bosco, which has been jet setting all over the country, you know, all the way to Florida. And then they played in Hawaii. They played Kahuku Friday and lose to Kahuku 30 to 23 in a bit of a shocker. They went down really early. And this was two
1: weeks ago, correct? This was two weeks ago. This was... Because they had a bye this week, I think, or this last week, this past weekend. They had a buy. So I think it was two weeks ago they they uh, they uh went down in the island.
0: Was it? Okay, so they had the buy. Okay, I don't know. Did we talk about this last week? Because I don't remember. We didn't.
1: We, we didn't it. talk about it.
0: Okay. Well, we are talking about it now. And um, kind of an interesting, uh, one of those things where, you know, uh, a little bit too much luau, maybe, for the Braves. We're always we talking about the luau, the luau controversy, the luau factor, <laughs> You know, we've got yachts, we've got luau's, and uh, so St. John Bosco losing that one kind of shows, you know, it's one of those things, like, this is not the Braves' best team on paper, yeah. but the fact that they're able to go cross-country and beat St. Thomas Aquinas on the road, which is a pretty good football program, and then, you know, going and playing Kahuku, who got just destroyed by modern day, um, kind of interesting. You know, one of those things where, you know, even good teams, you can... Uh, you can kind of uh, let your guard down a little bit. Um, one thing that did happen uh, last week was Brian Jackson got back into the fold uh, for McKinley high school. Um, he had been out with a dislocated elbow. And so he did get a, uh, a touchdown run. He only had like one or two carries um, in the game for McKinley. They did win, uh, but uh, good to see him back in action. You know, just uh, at least coming back uh, from that injury. And uh, we do have a Friday night lights light sort of breakdown of uh, the various different recruits coming from uh, Jarrett. He's put it together. Something that we need a little more feedback on. I know we've done this in the past. I put a lot of effort into Friday night lights as a feature. We used to have these sort of like grades and, and uh, awards each week for who had the most um, Touchdowns and who had the most uh, yards and all these different things with graphics and everything. And it just never got a lot of traction. People just weren't that interested. They're like, okay, yeah, high school football game, cool, whatever. You know, even guys like, I mean, we did it during a year where you had um, players like Dylan Baxter committed to USC who were getting like seven touchdowns a game and just having insane stats. And it just was like, okay, yeah, yeah, cool. That's uh, Mission Bay High School and, uh, you know, we'll see what happens when he gets to USC. So I don't know. It just maybe doesn't translate, you know, the statistics and how these players are performing week to week. Um, Obviously we do the ISO film. That's a little more of a visual in terms of uh, the development of various different players commitments. Um, You know, USC doesn't have a ton of guys that are, you know, sort of those marquee players. Unfortunately, you know, all those martyr day guys are, are kind of not really considering USC right now um, sparse representation at, uh, St. John Bosco and other local players. You know, there's some guys in, in Oklahoma or excuse me, Texas and Georgia, you know, we went to go see, uh, Cameron Fountain the other week and Juju Lewis, he got ISO filmed there. So it's one of those things where, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of trying to, you know, uh, keep our eye on the guys that are committed. Um, but in terms of, you know, additional options, the guys that USC are going to be recruiting majority of those players are already committed elsewhere. And so it's going to be decommitted season or bust on the high school football trail. Gerard,
1: let's transition from the high school game to the college game, back to the college game for week five, which is a very highly anticipated matchup between the Trojans and Colorado at Folsom field sold out. looks like tickets are going for around a thousand dollars. It is going to be happening it is a bright and early 9. AM game. Gerard, I hope you can get up to watch it at 8 a.m., or excuse me, 9 a.m. I just contradicted myself yeah, within. It's
0: two 10 a.m. Mountain Time.
1: 10 a.m. Mountain Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time. Gerard, I hope you're up bright and early to watch that one. This is USC versus Colorado, but it also boils down to Lincoln Riley versus Deion Sanders, two of the most polarizing coaches in college football. A lot of people love them, a lot of people what? hate them.
0: What? 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 Yeah. Yeah. No way. Lincoln Riley is not a polarizing figure in college football. That is not true. See, I mean, this is the Dion effect. Now it's like Dion versus who's the next, you know, the, the other head coach. And, you know, Dan Lanning obviously made his little speech pregame and that got a lot of traction with people. And understandably so, you know, he was taking shots and the whole thing that, you know, the week before, which I thought was interesting, you know, with Norvell and Colorado State, where, Dion was kind of making that personal like he was making that personal I don't think it was personal I think Dion Sanders was trying to make that personal so he could get his team dialed in and Dan Lanning didn't say anything the week of you know he was pretty mum about Dion Sanders and everything he saved it all for the pregame dragged the media in there So he could have his spiel. That was all for recruiting. That was all, you know, um, another interesting thing in that game I saw was a post-game picture with Phil Knight, Dylan Williams, Dakota Fields, and and there was another recruit there. And I was surprised at that. I didn't think legally you could take pictures with boosters or really have contact with boosters like that. Um, But I don't know. Maybe there's the Phil Knight rule because he's like a booster for – Old programs or something um yeah they definitely they they, they use that and that was personal now that was absolutely 100 percent personal uh with dan landing kind of calling them out and saying you know we're trying to get wins they're trying to get clicks um they're all style they're no substance etc cetera, etc cetera. you're not going to hear that from lincoln riley like you're just, not only you're not going to hear that because Obviously, it didn't probably go over well with most of the national media when Dan Landing did it. It came off, uh eh, it, it came off a bit eh, personal, you know. I mean, I don't know. I, it, it probably, I think, most people and even recruits. I don't, I don't know if that really works for Dan Landing in that respect, because I think a lot of recruits like Deion Sanders. Mm-hmm. They like him as a player. Whether they want to go play with him or not, whether they want to go to Colorado or not, is is a whole another can of worms. But I think he's a GOAT from a player standpoint. And a lot of players respect him. And Dan Landing was kind of disrespecting what he's doing at Colorado. So I, I don't know how that really actually plays with the younger kids. You know, they some of them might feel that's a bit stiff and it's like, oh okay, so Dan Landing's basically everything that Dion's not. Well, do I want to go play with a guy like that? Eh, I don't know. So anyways, nevertheless, you know, whether that came out or not, Lincoln Riley's not that dude. He he's definitely I'm not gotta, I'm not I'm not saying he's a trash talker. I'm saying that last you said year he's polarizing. And that's only because of the Oklahoma fan. I mean for Oklahoma fans, yeah, but for everybody else, I I don't think so. I don't think Texas fans, Alabama fans, I don't think anybody thinks he's polarizing outside of uh, Norman. Yeah, I mean,
1: the Norman people obviously boost that, but I still think people regardless a lot of people wanted to see lincoln riley fail last year after the way he left uh oklahoma in the the middle of the night to usc i I think a lot of people regardless if you're an oklahoma fan and just a fan of the others was like i don't like that i don't like him i hope they lose there was there was a lot of that last year
0: I get to feel that's more of a USC thing than even
1: Lincoln Riley. Well, combining him with USC, he's now the face of USC.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's definitely, what does Josh Platt say? Uh, it's the USC tax. There's like a sort of casual, um, you know, sports fan that comes along with the USC's big and they've got the star players. And there's this hate from the South. When it comes to that, because it's like, well, you guys have the beaches, you guys got Hollywood, you've got the mountains, you've got this, that, and the other. All we've got is football, so you can't win. You can't have that, also, sort of thing. And I get that. I totally understand that. You know, they're in, in, completely invested in football, and football's religion. Football is the only thing going in some of those small college towns. So it's like when you're getting your ass handed to you by a team that's got everything already. <laughs> And you're one thing; you're getting beat at it. That's 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 pretty demoralizing. So I, I kind of understand where you get that from. But again, I mean, I think Lincoln he's usually good about not a, not feeding into that kind of stuff. Even with all the stuff going with Oklahoma, I always felt it was more Oklahoma fans just being weirdos, like just flat out weirdos. Oh, like absolutely, all of the, absolutely. The banners and everything. I didn't get the sense college football was necessarily like really rooting like 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 sincerely genuinely rooting against Lincoln Riley to be successful USC the Pac-12 is like oh crap like yeah we really don't we know what USC can be we don't want to live in the shadow of that again um but college football in general I don't know man like I I feel like Jim Harbaugh would be a little bit more polarizing from that standpoint um Sark is probably even a little more controversial Dabo Sweeney right now I think is a bit more polarizing uh, with some of the things that he said and some of the approach that he's had for running his program. I feel like Milshu is a bit milk toast when it comes to that, purposely takes a little bit of the sting and the, the venom out of these types of situations. He's pretty smart about how he approaches to it. You know, he's like very sort of general, very sort of copacetic. And I I don't know. Polarizing and Lincoln Riley just don't – I don't know. They don't – that's my opinion, though. I I just – I don't get that sense. That's fair.
1: That's why people like to listen to the show. To hear your opinion, Gerard, specifically your opinion. So why don't you give me your opinion on three things you want to see when USC goes to Folsom Field this weekend?
0: I think first and foremost, USC, secondary tackling in space, playing in space – is kind of a big deal because you're going to get an offense which wants to get a lot of plays in space where they can get yards after catch. Um, it's uh, an offense that has a little bit of a sort of freestyle mentality when it's really working. It's it's a crazy breakneck pace, and they want to try to use uh, USC's inability to tackle in space to continue to move the chains. And that's going to be a big issue for USC because they have struggled. Um, you know, Second level of, of the defense, I think, is another, if you want to sort of break it down even more, how the secondary plays in one-on-one situations, uh, tackling and covering, okay? But then second level of the defense, how they play against a scrambling quarterback because we saw against San Jose State. They were not very good in that situation. They had some big... Gashing plays, allowing San Jose State to convert some third and longs. And and again, that's, you know, particularly in the second half, man, you're allowing teams to stay in games when you've got a third and 10, you've got a third and 18 or whatever, and they're able to get a first down out of it. And next thing you know, they're at midfield and, and they're in a scoring position with a couple of plays and a 14 point lead, 17 point lead, all of a sudden becomes a 10 point lead. And it's just like, wow, the game has just changed. Boom. Because you had two plays that you gave up in that series because, you know, you weren't able to contain the quarterback. So everybody's talking about, you know, the one thing that Colorado does not have is good pass protection. But USC does a good job of pressuring the passer right you get eight tackles last week you know, we've seen you know solomon bird he's he's playing well right now he's kind of back into that pocket of where he was playing when he was playing well last year you've got jamil muhammad who's been a good addition there they've got a, a good front four i mean i still am a little surprised that we're not seeing kim bars as much as we're seeing stanley tofu um because I think bars offers you just a little bigger body and a little more. um, But Stanley is a, is an effort guy. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I I mean, I understand from that standpoint, maybe he's a little more, um, he plays off of uh, bear Alexander better. Perhaps. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know exactly the nuance there with, with that rotation. Um, But they've got a solid pass rush. It's just one of those things where, you know, you can't go back to the San Jose State game and lose your integrity with your gap defense because you guys are just trying to get upfield so so fast. So that's going to be a big deal. I mean, I think with uh, Sanders, you're talking about the best scrambling quarterback USC has seen since, you know, that first game against San Jose State. So definitely second-level improvement against a, a scrambling quarterback is, is going to be a huge issue for USC. And then seeing USC run the ball and committing to the run because that – is the big easy way to just control the clock and win this game and maybe dominate this game it's free colorado, money
1: against yeah. colorado
0: colorado can't stop the run uh oregon you know showed that but you know we've seen them in other games they're not a good run defense and their strength is in their skill players and so if you know usc has done anything but really try to wear out a team in the first half running the football and i feel like On the road, this is one thing that really can help your offensive line. We've seen with the penalties, and you know, Lincoln Riley wanted to see them clean that up last week, and it didn't happen. They had more penalties last week than they've had in any other game. A lot of it gets placed at the feet of the offensive line. But truth be told, man, when you are dropping back and you are passing that much, making those calls and playing on your heels, it's harder to do that on the road. You know, you're trying Mm -hmm. to listen, you've got the crowd going. And it, it, I think most of the offensive line men that I've ever known and 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 had conversations with, whether they be at USC or otherwise, they want to attack. Like they want to get down, they want to fire off the football, they want to punish the guy in front of them instead of having to be on their heel the whole game and taking punishment. So I think on the road that's a big deal where everything lines up for this to be a game where you get that constant. Hey, we're actually going to give the ball to. Uh, to uh, Marshawn Lloyd three times in a row. We're going to give the ball to uh, – and you know what? Maybe one of those runs, they only get two yards. Okay, cool. I okay, mean, that happens. It's okay. You can run the ball again. Like literally Arizona State – and this and this is something I've been beating this drum for a long time. There's tendencies here, and these teams are going to clue in more and more on the tendencies of USC. Um, and It's interesting because you're playing – your Pac-12 schedule, you've played three coaches that were not there last year. Right. So you're playing Dillingham, who wasn't at Arizona. You're playing um Troy Davis, who was not at S- Stanford. And now you're playing Deion Sanders, who was not at Colorado last year. I'm gonna be interested to see when they got to play Arizona and they got to play Cal and they got to play some of these coaching staffs who have seen this offense already. And you really start to, you know, maybe cue in on some tendencies of Caleb Williams and the offense. And I mean, the simple fact that like I can sit there as a complete Like I've never coached at the college level, but you can see USC is so reluctant to run the ball consecutively. They just don't do it. And I there's two things in the way of that happening. I think one, Lincoln Riley, you know, he's calling the game and he's trying to call a balanced game, but he is a quarterback spread guy by nature. The other obstacle you have is that all those calls are going through Caleb Williams, who is also a quarterback, and he is either checking with Riley at the at, at the, the the snap, or he's going to make an audible on his own. So you got two quarterbacks there making calls, and you get the sense like, okay, what does the quarterbacks want to do? They want to throw the ball, you know. And it's hard when you've got a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback there who can make plays and he can sort of Superman his way even through the tendencies of, okay, you know, it's it's going to be a pass. And Arizona State was playing pass on some of those third and threes. And it's like, oh, my gosh. And, you know, we saw a little bit of that last year. I think we're going to see more and more of it this year where teams are not going to be convinced. They are going to wait for USC to pass. They're going to basically do what they did with uh, Bram Harrell. You know, they just drop eight and say, all right, we, we know USC wants to win the ball or win the game by passing the ball. That's what they want to do. So we're going to wait it out. We may give up some runs here and there. But eventually they're gonna start passing the ball. They're gonna pass the ball a couple, you know, two, three times in a row here, and we're gonna be waiting for it and we're gonna be able to shut them down instead of USC just basically looking at what the defense is giving them. Or, you know, in in this situation, I think you screw that. Screw what the defense is giving you. You go out there and you establish the run. You say we're gonna go run. I don't care if they put the whole 12 guys on the line of scrimmage, okay? Bring one off from the sideline. You know, Dion can be out there. Uh, playing cornerback for him since uh, apparently, you know, it's, you know, USC versus Deion Sanders and that's, the, and we'll still run the ball. Like that, that mentality is something that USC has not established. They established it last year and they've really, really gone away from it this year despite crazy yard per carry numbers. And, and of course the argument is, well, you're getting those yard per carry numbers because teams are playing the pass so much against you. Uh, once they start to go, okay, well, they're going to run, then you're not going to get those numbers. But then, you know, you can argue, well, you are open a big place. I mean, it goes back and forth, right? Uh, but I think USC, this is a game where uh, you would like to see them just sort of commit to running the ball a bit more, you know, just just straight out two, three runs, two, three runs, two, three runs, and not necessarily have those um, those instances where you get a 15-yard marshawn lloyd run and then usc passes the ball three times in a row because we've seen a lot of that
1: the three things i want to see one of them kind of touches on you you know you want to see the usc secondary my um, one of mine is also with the usc secondary this is their biggest test to date these are the best skill players they have faced so far in the the early part of this this easier schedule but obviously this is going to be their biggest one and they're not even going to have to deal with travis hunter will be out with that lacerated liver. Ouch. But yeah, if he was in there, this would obviously be a much, much scarier lineup to go against, but it's still a very talented secondary against a very talented quarterback, Shadur Sanders. So this is definitely a game for USC secondary to show they mean business and handle their business against these talented weapons. Another thing for me is just handling that road environment. It always seems like... uh, under Lincoln Riley, as someone pointed out, that fourth game, that first one usually on the road is when Lincoln's teams sort of struggle a little bit for whatever reason, and last year's fourth game was Oregon State, where USC did not look all that great. The next home game, I believe it was the next home game, but they came out for Utah, and they looked much more confident. They looked much more confident. So I'm wondering if that's what we're going to see going into this week. Against Colorado in what will be a rocking environment, seeing if they come out soundproof, they come out looking great on offense. Go down there, drive, drive, drive. Obviously, this Colorado defense is not very good to put it lightly, so they should be able to move the ball easily against the Buffaloes. So you definitely want to see them carve them up easily, moving down instead of the the kind of herky jerky, almost painful way they were able to move the ball against Arizona State early in that game until they were able to, you know really get those big plays going. I expect big plays, but really excited to see how they kind of handle this early morning uh start, this rocking crowd in an intimate environment. This is a very small field. Almost feels like you're claustrophobic because we can't we as media can't even down on the field, we can't even walk but through the sideline. You have to actually go into the stadium and cross that way. So it is very tight quarters in there. So See how they handle that, and then you know tackling. You know, 15 missed tackles against Arizona State. You say you know we're working on it, we're working on it, we're working on it. It felt like they were moving in a positive direction this season, but they took a big step back against Arizona State. You want to see them bounce back against this Colorado team, especially as you mentioned with those guys in space, those dangerous skill pl- positions, skill players, excuse me, in space. If you miss, if you're missing tackles against uh, a team with uh, weapons like this they are going to make you pay. So those are kind of the three things I'm looking forward to seeing USC or what they're going to do in those situations at Colorado. Gerard, let's move on to our final topic, which is, you know, just looking around college football, what happened this past week week of uh, games and kind of maybe the, a little bit of the recruiting impact. We did talk about Oregon absolutely destroying Colorado. We didn't talk about it in depth, but you did mention, you know, how would that play out for Dan Lanning? Going after, you know, a goat like Deion Sanders, will that actually play well? But Oregon handled their business 42-6. to 6. Colorado did not score into the fourth quarter. It was all bad for the Buffaloes. They came back down to earth. You know, I thought Oregon was going to win, but I also thought Colorado would put up a little bit more of a fight. So I'm wondering how what effect this game has on their psyche. Does it reset them and say, you know, look, we have USC coming to town. We can go in there get a big win in our home field against a top 10 team? Or does it, you know, kind of reveal them a little bit? And, you know, maybe they have a little bit of self-doubt. Like, we're not as big as bad as we thought. If USC jumps up early on them, you know, 21 to 3. Or does that doubt creep in? Like, oh, no, here goes here goes another uh, Autzen game. Here goes we're going to get blown out on our home, home field. Does that kind of creep in? So I'm excited. I'm not excited. I'm interested to see how that result would play into Colorado's psyche. Obviously, the big win over the weekend or last weekend was Ohio State surviving in South Bend, defeating Notre Dame. I actually thought Notre Dame had won this game. I was not able to get an update, and it wasn't until like midnight that I realized that Ohio State had actually won. Notre Dame a little bit of embarrassing at the end, only had 10 players on the field for their final two defensive plays where they could have stopped them at the goal line. So uh, Marcus Freeman, a little Clay Helton-ish, and we have referred to him as a little bit of a Clay, having a little bit of Clay Helton in him with this uh, this loss here in South Bend. So a tough win, uh, excuse me, a tough hard-fought win for Ohio State, and, and a bad loss for Not a bad loss, but you know it, it was a game they were in position to win uh, and, and get a big win over Ohio State. Florida State survived Clemson and Dabo and a kicker who will be traumatized for the rest of his life. Florida State absolutely should have lost that game, but they found a way to win. Another uh, close win for them, and they stay undefeated. A top four, top five team. And then Utah sort of gets it done against UCLA. They UCLA was in a position to maybe tie this game up. Uh, I believe the final was 14-7. to seven. I was watching it before we left for the game uh, in ASU, but I know Utah survived. But this was the game, you know, Dante Moore, welcome to the road game. Welcome to Utah on the road. He uh, did not look great, but, you know, still we're in position to win at the end. But uh, Utah ends up staying undefeated as well and surviving another week without Cameron rising at quarterback.
0: Yeah, interesting set of games, you know, in terms of overlap for USC. I mean, at this point, obviously, Oregon is a head to head rival in recruiting Uh, Ohio State more so actually than even Notre Dame name these days and florida state has popped up here and there where usc is trying to recruit florida a bit and um, florida has come into their backyard and were able to get manasi atete uh, away from usc who had committed to usc in june and then uh, subsequently two months later decided uh, he wanted to commit to florida state which was originally what we all thought was going to happen the surprise was him committing to usc so With uh, Oregon, you know, they're continuing to do what they're doing. Um, You know, NIL is a big deal. Obviously, as I said before, you know, having uh, Dylan Williams there and Dakota Fields, you know, taking pictures with Phil Knight. You you know what Oregon is pushing, you know, what Oregon brings to the table and uh, why they're doing well in recruiting. Um, I think uh, from a standpoint of, you know, how much does this help them? It helps them because there's a lot of eyes, you know, this was the first really big game um, that, uh, I mean, the opener for Colorado was a big game, you know, against TCU, certainly, but I think this was the the really first good team that Colorado had faced um, that has a little more balance all around, and they didn't look very good, and so this is going to be a big week for them, bouncing back and showing that they are, they have some substance to them, you know, and how that plays, whether they're more dialed in than they were last week, you know, it's hard to say that, you know, I thought USC would be more dialed in going and playing Arizona state, you know, not a good team, which is, it makes it tough sometimes to motivate your guys to get them focused. Um, But playing on the road and, and playing in front of a raucous crowd uh, you know, kind of sort of coming together as a team. And uh, that's not what happened. It was the opposite. So they maybe were a little surprised by Arizona State and surprised by some some different things that they did and, and, and the home crowd. There will be no excuses to be surprised this week. You know, this is going to be a game that uh, was circled by many people, including Colorado. So you hope that USC is ready to step up to the level of competition, you know, they realize they're going to be playing against a good team. They can't make the mistakes they did last week, sort of to what you said with how they played at Utah, you know, playing on the road um, at at Stanford, completely different type of game as to, you know, going into Salt Lake city and playing at rice Eccles. And so I think, um, you know, from that standpoint, we'll see if USC is a little more dialed in. I think it will have a good recruiting impact, um, whether it's, you know, for like a specific guy, I think it's kind of a, one of those things that it's just, it's, it would be all positive for USC to go out there and look like a very well-rounded team, play good defense, play good offense and, um, and try to do basically what Oregon did to Colorado, but do it at home. Uh, Ohio state, uh, surviving South Bend and that being kind of a weird game, still not sold on Marcus Freeman, still not sold on Ohio state, you know, not sold on, um, the quarterback situation there. You know, it looks Dicey. I think Ohio State and Florida State are very similar, kind of. Mm -hmm. You know, something about both of those teams. It just it feels like there's a there's just going to be games there. If they they have an offense that they're playing that can score and they happen to turn the ball over, they're going to lose a game. And so Florida State, you know, being Clemson, it was huge for them because they really don't have a lot of top teams on their schedule. So now everybody's looking like, okay, they they can kind of you know, make their way into potentially um, the college football playoff with not a lot of obstacles in their way. Um, but it is a team that, you know, we saw them play at Boston College and almost get beat. So, yeah, I'm still kind of like uh, eh, not sure uh, that, they're, that they're really, um, you know, is, is, is highly thought of as people are, are giving them. And, you know, it was interesting that Ohio State uh, postgame interview that uh, Ryan Day gave. And he was kind of unhinged a little bit, you know, talking about how nobody believed in them and this, that, and the other, and it was just like I, I, did, I don't know where that was coming from necessarily. You know, most people thought Ohio State certainly had a, had a, had a shot against Notre Dame. If not, was were the favorites against Notre Dame? Um, but I think he, I think that's a little bit of insecurity. I think he knows that his offense is not great and it's struggling, and it should be better, and it's really being held back by the quarterback position more than anything else. You know, they don't have. Um, CJ back there, who, you know, was a a tremendous player for them last year. And it's funny, you know, just kind of looking across the board, even with Alabama, you know, that these teams don't have these California quarterbacks. And all of a sudden, it's like, you know, their offenses have gone completely in reverse. Um, Alabama, you know, without uh, Bryce Young there. And so, yeah, I mean, that's uh, one of those things where um, you see how big the quarterback position is and how important it is to these teams. And that's what gives USC a, a fighting chance just about in every game because they've got a guy back there that's a generational talent. But, again, it's sort of a double-edged sword for USC because it, I feel like he's masking some issues with the offense that you, you play against better teams and have athletes. You know, is Caleb Williams going to be enough? You know, he might find a defense that is able to slow him down enough That, you know, USC is um, they're just not going to be able to win those games um, because they're not running the ball. They're not doing the things, you know, that that don't require him to be Superman. You know, they don't require him to make those like crazy plays. And then, of course, you look forward to next year and you're like, okay when he's not there, which, you know, we anticipate he's going to go to the NFL draft. Uh, you know, Miller Moss is not making some of those plays, you know, Malachi Nelson is probably not making some of those plays. So, you know, the offense is definitely going to have to pivot and have to do different things better. Um, but that's next year. And, you know, you don't want to uh, get the buggy in front of the horse, so to speak, and, you know, kind of enjoy, um, his exploits right now as they are. And, uh, hope that those highlights and the continued, uh, ability, um, to to make those great plays, kind of uh, showcase you know Lincoln Riley's offense and the freedom of that offense and how it uh, allows a player like uh, Caleb Williams to to be able to to, to to do those things. You know that's where the recruiting impact comes, and um, we'll have to see if it becomes an impact in the, the transfer portal for the near future. You know we talked a little bit about that in uh, replacing him. Um, certainly on the high school trail, for whatever reason, the 2024 class has not bought into it, which is, um, you know, spectacular to me, a guy like DJ lagway can go to Florida and, uh, and, and not go to USC. I mean, I guess there's the NIL, a factor to it, but I mean, I, I think for quarterback that's, that's not it, you know, like it, it, it's that quarterbacks are going to have that ability to earn in college and whatever money is floated out there, you know, to make commitments and, and to what have you um, is, is pennies compared to, you know, what Caleb Williams is, is making right now at USC. So it's, 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 just, it's still one of those things that just kind of, you shake your head at the the 2024 class and the lack of, uh, traction with with some of those guys and you know no offers for 2025 we we still anticipate julian lewis probably reclassifying be 2025 which would make sense and then you're like okay you've got the best quarterback potentially in the 2025 class they're going to have to reevaluate and look at the other guys that are in that class etc um but there would be an argument to be made that he's going to be top three in that class and stylistically really fits what usc um is doing right now
1: as far as Big games this week. A lot of buys for teams, so not a ton of great matchups. But, you know, Notre Dame at Duke, that is a battle of two top 25 matchups. Uh, actually, you know, just to, to point out, uh, Gerard, Florida State still has to get through Duke, which has become a surprise team of this season. Uh, that game is at home for Florida State, so a little bit easier. But, hey, let's not count out Duke. To pull out the upset in that ACC play, but Notre Dame is going to go to Duke, and that should be a tough road game for them. You know, you have LSU at Old Miss. That's a battle top twenty-five. Kansas at Texas, number three Texas. Texas, uh, Kansas is a good team, and you know Texas maybe uh, has to come ready for that one. Michigan's at Nebraska. That could be a big chance for Matt Rule to get a to get a big win. Georgia's at Auburn, but I know a lot of people are going to be watching USC Colorado. That's one of the marquee games. And it's a great primetime slot, 12 noon on Fox. So, you know, uh, USC is going to have a ton of eyeballs on them this week, Gerard.
0: Yeah, Texas is kind of rolling right now. Uh, I think recruiting-wise, kind of the way people anticipated USC, you know, kind of rolling and recruiting and hasn't really happened at this point. Texas. We'll see. You know, there's there's doubts about Texas as well. You know, they go and they, they beat um, a not very good Alabama team, you know, an Alabama team with a lot of talent, uh, a lot of talent offensive line. Offensive line's not playing particularly well. They don't really have a quarterback. I didn't think they made the right decision going back to Milrow. At least he can run the football. I think we said that last week t- talking about the quarterback situation there. Um, excuse me. <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, I think that um, – you mentioned Kansas because Kansas has beaten Texas, you know, when yeah. they're not supposed to. And Texas you feel like with Sarkeesian is one of those teams that can just sort of roll into a game unprepared and not really focused. And um, so, yeah, that, that they and Florida State are both teams where you're going to go, okay, you know, they're going to be able to be consistent. You know, that's the whole thing. Consistency is the tough thing in college football and the good teams are consistent and that's usually because the good teams are, are playing good defense. You know, it's kind of uh, one in the same when you're a uh, good defense, it's because you're consistent. Um, and defensively, it's easier to be consistent. You know, you've got good players and you've got just a solid scheme and guys are just, you know, there's not a lot of timing involved. Um, it's basically, Hey man, let look at the football and when it moves, you move. And, uh, um, you kind of love, you let your athletes be athletes uh, whereas there's a lot more design and there's a lot more, uh, as I said, moving parts with with offense. And that's why it's difficult to be prolific every single week. You know, there's just going to be those weeks where you come out and you just don't play well. And USC's offense has played as well as any offense. I mean, we talked about at the beginning of the season, you know, is this one of the best offenses, if not the best offense that USC has had? in the modern era of college football, like going back to the peak era where you had Matt Leinart and Reggie Bush and Lindell white. And those offenses at their peak were more talented, but I feel like from a design standpoint, um, and, and because you have Caleb Williams there and he can do multiple things, you know, he can run the ball. He can pass the ball. He can affect the game even more than a Reggie Bush can. Um, there's an argument to be made there, certainly. Uh, but even then, there's going to be weeks where they're just a bit off. You know, people were like stunned at how off Caleb Williams was against Oregon State, and you know, I was like, man, he just it, what happened? What what's going on here? Like, you know, it just there's no rhyme or reason for it, at least at face value. And you have to know that that is potentially something that can happen. Multiple times during the year, and that's just the way it goes. It's just the way. You see it in the NFL, see it at the college level. Um, there's very few offenses that are just great every week, and so that's where your defense has got to be able to step up. Whereas if your defense is kind of what you hang your hat on, you know the other team's got to beat you is basically what it comes down to. And um, you know more teams in college, I think, lose games and win games.
1: All right, Gerard. That is the end of our topics for the show. But as always. We have a listener questions and we're going to take it home with that. Just a reminder if you want to email us a question, you can send it to podcast at uscfootball.com. Just make sure you put the composite 10K and Gerard, the Salatra Boys recruiting podcast, what have you, and it'll go to my inbox and I can put it on the docket. Gerard, I'm only going to do three questions. I'm only going to do three questions because I want to save your voice and. I can get out of here at a reasonable time. I can get out of here before Thursday. So I'm only going to do three questions this week. Sounds like a win-win. Win. Sounds like a win-win win. And I'm going to save the rest for next episode. We'll push those back. Gerard, let's start with a two-question. One from D from Central Valley. who always sends in questions. So thank you, D. Uh, question number one. GM. GM. You posted an impressive ISO of Elijah Gordon. Do you think USC is going to choose between Jason Mitchell and Elijah Gordon? In a separate interview, Jay Mitchell mentioned that USC wanted to see more film of him.
0: Yeah, I think those guys uh, from a profile standpoint are similar. Um, they're kind of playing similar positions. And pro- oh, is there anything Yeah, I, there?
1: that was really bad. I, I, I almost destroyed the studio with my water bottle. Okay, we're good. We're good. We're good. We're good. I'm sorry. The mic, uh,
0: the mic stand again uh, is. Um, the mic stand is good. I can confirm. Been destroyed. Um, yeah, I think, you know, just from a standpoint, uh, Jason Mitchell hasn't played this year yet. So obviously they do need to see some of him. But you're talking about 6'4, 185, 190 pound players. Um, long, linear, uh, don't play pure defensive back at the high school level, they are sort of hybrid. Nickelish linebackers and so i think it comes down to them from an evaluation standpoint who is maybe the guy that can fill in to end up being more of a linebacker or who's going to be the better safety it's like who's going to have a position uh in usc's defense and i think right now gordon is probably the guy that people like more just because he's played and he's tested you know, that's a big deal. He went to USC and he tested and, uh, ran a really good 40 time. And that's where he got his scholarship offer from. Um, now I saw him, you know, in person and, um, he had a decent game. He had a good game. He's actually not used every series. He actually comes in every other series. And, um, I talked a little bit about, you know, watching him against Bishop Lamont, uh, last week. And, um, you know, talking a little bit about uh, seeing Rodney Sherman's son out there, who is a, a really good looking athlete, a good cornerback, um, and, and maybe, you know, in terms of potential, the best player for that Ranch Cucamonga football team. So, you know, I think Gordon has a lot of the intangibles you like. He's a smart kid, he's a humble kid. Um, you kind of like the uh, lineage there at Ranch Cucamonga High School. They produced a lot of really good football players. Um, so, all of that is kind of. In his corner, and the fact that Mitchell has not played yet, um, and there's a guy that USC could have taken his commitment over the summer and didn't uh, leads me to believe that there's probably uh, a better chance of Gordon being that guy that they that they go after. It's still, I mean, as of uh, you know, like uh, three weeks ago, two weeks ago, I think still one of those kind of wait and see type situations. But you know, as we've seen. Uh, with the cornerback position and Isaiah Rubin, that can that can change, you know, very quickly. It only takes, you know, a couple prospects that you're calling weekly. All of a sudden, they stop picking up your calls, and it's like, okay, we gotta we gotta make a, a pivot here in another direction.
1: And the second question
0: is: I've seen some
1: game highlights of Ryan Pelham; very impressive. What is the opinion of both of you on Pelham? Please give us a comp. Thank you. I've seen Ryan Pelham uh, a couple times. Well. One time where he balled out of his mind. The other time, he did not play. But technically, I saw him, Gerard. Technically, I saw him on the sideline. But yeah, I, I like Ryan Pelham's game. Uh, he I think he does need to add a little bit more uh, variation in his route running because they like to just throw streaks at him. Uh, I've heard this joke multiple times that his highlights are basically just all streaks down the field. So you want to see a little bit more variation because you're not always going to get to win in college on some streaks. So I, I need to see more underneath routes and stuff. I do obviously like his athleticism. He has the ability to like cornerback in, in college if he wanted to, but he's going to play wide receiver. Uh, he does need to, uh, you know, check his emotions a little bit. He does get a little bit too excited and riled up and, you know, a little bit uh trash talky with the other team and that can get him in trouble with when they're pulling him off the field because they, he's a little bit too excited or whether that's maybe a suspension for some personal flex. So I think, do think he needs to work on that a little bit, but for the most part I do like his game. And I think he's a good addition for this uh, USC offense next year. You know, from a
0: comp standpoint, that's a tough one. I don't know mm-hmm. if anybody really jumps out immediately. Um, you know, cause there's always attributes or things where you kind of, it maybe overrides the attributes that you would you know try to use to compare a player with another player. Um, maybe a little Nelson Aguilar there uh, again. You know Nelson played at a small private school, uh, Berkeley Prep in Tampa, and he played a lot of running back actually originally, and then kind of moved to receiver. But he didn't really have a quarterback to throw the ball to him a lot, um, so a lot of his highlights were actually you know him running the football. I think with Pelham a he's he's got speed uh, good separator downfield um, probably better than I originally thought you know he's developed and, and gotten faster you know over the past year or so uh, more so than I think you know I kind of expected and that's a good thing uh, I agree with Chris in terms of like route running and just like you know working different routes on the tree, um, that's definitely something, you know, being consistent with his hands on the shorter routes. Um, you know, we've seen him be a big play guy, uh, maybe just, you know, having to work and be a little more the routine guy. I saw that a little bit during seven on seven, you know, where, where he did have to um, become a little more varied in his uh, route running. Um, I do also agree he's got to check the sort of getting caught up in the trash talking and caught, you know, kind of like he gets taken out of his own game to a certain extent. You know, the excuse is always like, you know, I talk to try to get myself, you know, motivated and riled up. And it's like, yeah, but you know, there's a line that you all of a sudden end up, you know, getting involved with other guys. And then uh, you push somebody and they push you and then you try to take a swing or whatever happens uh, where you're actually getting yourself taken out of a game. That's obviously crossing the line. And so, that's something that he's got to check himself. But at the same time, you like the dog, you like the edge, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, a lot of people have uh, sort of pointed out over the last, uh, you know, couple of weeks um, about Mario Williams and his inconsistencies as a receiver. I mean, i am tell you flat out, you know, USC's best four receivers are, are by far Todd's Washington, Brandon rice, um, Dorian singer, And, um, who's the, who's the fourth branch Uh, branch. Yeah. Yeah. That would be, that would be the, 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 starting four for me. Um, but I do see where Mario Williams brings a little bit of that sort of dog mentality into the blocking schemes and, and what have you. I mean, and I think he's a good teammate from that standpoint. Um, but it is a consistency thing, you know, and you want to, um, cultivate competition And consistency is where that's got to come, you know, especially at the receiver position, just catching the football, you know, above all else, it's like great that you're a great blocker and what have you, but you know, you got to catch the ball when it's being thrown to you. So um, I think that, uh, you know, from a consistency standpoint, uh, that's something with uh, the sort of mundane kind of routes and what have you um, is something that Pelham has to work on to a certain extent. But yeah, I, I, I think, I mean, he's a very, very good player, man, and he's got the speed, and that's always the thing that, you know, from a, um, a teaching standpoint, you can't teach speed. and You can't teach that ability to, uh, to, to blow the top off of defense, you know, and force them uh, to, to run cover to or, or to do something where um, they can't just, uh, you know, kind of man cover you. And so that's, uh, you know, something we've seen. It fits in well with this offense, you know, when you've got Taj Washington out there, um, even Brandon Rice, who even though he's a pretty big receiver, very swift, uh, one of the fastest receivers on the team. Branch is obviously one of the fastest receivers on the team. And uh, those type of vertical threats, I mean, you got to have a quarterback to get the ball downfield and, and that's, you know, part of it. Um, but when you have that combination, it just makes playing defense that that's that much more tough. And um, so uh, it's, something that usc needs to have for the future you know you're looking down at the players that are going to be graduating and the guys that you've got behind you know you've got to get some guys that got some some good speed that can um that can threaten uh, down the field you know outside of Branch.
1: our next question comes from rob chris and gmart huge fan of the two star thank you for both for your insights I had a question around recruiting tactics. Is there ever a time where teams allow a player to commit to a rival with knowledge that they will publicly decommit and then commit to them? I can imagine this could be tactical to make waves and generate more momentum. Was just was just thinking about this in regards to Dakota Fields committing to USC, acting like he's recruiting for SC, then decommitting, committing to Oregon, probably becoming their biggest cheerleader. Just curious if you have come across anything like this. Thanks, Rob. I know this theory comes up a lot when uh, guys take visits to other places, but Gerard, have you actually ever documented this or
0: confirmed that this has ever happened in your 20 years of covering recruiting? Not verifiably, and it seems a bit too diabolical knowing these kids and their lack of ability to really, you know, trying to be like a spy, you know, a double agent. In a, a committed class so you can try to re, i guess recruit guys from that class i mean first and foremost got to have a bunch of guys in the class that you want to recruit um but uh in dakota's case no not at all i think he was genuinely pretty pumped up about usc family was pumped up about usc and um you know i don't know man I, you know it, it's an nil era i there's there's just a lot of stuff where it's just like fill in the blank NIL, because <laughs> there's just some things that just don't make a lot of sense. You know, like, why why would you decommit from USC two months later? There's been no change in, in anything. You know, did USC just stop calling you? Did somebody drop the ball? Like, I don't think any of those things happened. So it's one of those things that uh, it's um, it's a different era of, of, of recruiting and college football. And USC is trying to adapt. And philosophically, they're trying to figure things out strategy wise we're trying to figure things out and you know we kind of have to wait and see a little bit here you know everybody kind of wants to have the answer already we want to know where where is this thing going under Lincoln Riley you know ultimately is this a national championship contending program and you know if we go back before he was hired and we're talking about the likes of a Matt Campbell we're talking about the likes of a James Franklin um, all the different names that were mentioned, which now have been, you know, completely thrown under the bus. And oh my God, thank God, Dave Aranda, we never even considered him. And this guy that Matt Campbell's now a complete idiot. And he never could was a good coach. It was all hype. You know, all that stuff that goes on and kind of look and see where USC is now and see the games that they're winning. And just kind of letting it play out without getting ahead of yourself because it's Lincoln Riley and because, you know, he won a bunch of games at Oklahoma and didn't really have a rebuild to do at Oklahoma really just had to kind of keep things going at Oklahoma. So, you know, we do have to have a certain amount of patience. And even though there are those expectations and, you know, some of those expectations for me personally, I'm bringing back from the Pete Caro era, you know, or the Link Kiffin era and like how the team was able to recruit via how they're able to win games on the field and how all of that went, um, but those eras are not the NIL era, and those eras are not the Lincoln Riley era either. So there's just things that you know we're kind of learning as we go with all of this, and with the transfer portal also being a huge aspect of this. You know, coaching staff can say one thing and they can do another thing. You know, they can say, hey, we we're going to recruit the the high school ranks harder, and we're going to try to get high school guys. That's the way we want to do it. Um, But then at the same time, getting guys that are making big impacts, um, you know, week in, week out. And you're just thinking to yourself, wow, is it really necessary? You know, we're we're still – we haven't seen enough um, empirical evidence in terms of performance to be able to make that call yet. You know, I mean, I think it's still – you can argue both sides. You know, you can say, well, look at Jordan Addison. You know, look at um, Austin Jones. Look at Travis Dye. Look at Bear Alexander early in this season. Look at some of these players, Makai Blackman, that they got and they were able to make a huge impact right away and help w- help USC win 11 games after they only won four games. You know, would you have been able to do that if you would have had the number one class? If you would have had Texas A&M's 2022 class, right? Historic type class. And you plug those guys in, is Lincoln Riley winning eleven games with that roster? Probably not. So is that just a roster that is immediately impactful and gets you to eleven games because it's a quick turnaround and you can get those mercenary type players, plug them in really quickly, and they're gonna and they're gonna be good players for you. That's one type of roster. That's one type of situation. Then there is the longer term. Okay, we want to win national championships with an S. So we want to maintain a certain level of success. Can we do that culturally with guys coming in and coming out like we're, you know, the roster is flipping 20 guys every cycle? Um, More than that, but, you know, I mean, just in terms of from the transfer portal, you know, is that sustainable, sort of thing you know and and so the the arguments are still there but certainly um there's been quite a few guys from the transfer portal that have been good players for usc and you look at the guys that have been in the program for multiple years now and you know sort of how they're playing and how they're adapting and how they're improving guys like solomon bird um you know players like um you know even an austin jones you know who's who's you know been there and um, now he's competing against Marshawn Lloyd who comes in and they kind of over recruit him it's just really it's just going to take time where we got to see you know it, what what way really does work the best we know that Alabama and Georgia and those teams that have been to the college football playoff they continue to put their emphasis on high school recruiting um they really just cherry pick out of the portal uh, but for USC I mean Maybe they're 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 changing the paradigm. And this is something where they're gonna, oh, yeah, no, no, we wanna we wanna get back to high school. Yeah, for sure, for sure. But they're really in the back of their heads going, man, it's like a pore holes like where it's at. Like we can get, you know, a handful of guys at the very least, every cycle, they're gonna come in and they're gonna fill spots right away and they're gonna be difference makers for us. And we can't get that at high school. Now you you can uh over the years develop those players and and they should be ready, you know, next man up sort of mentality, which is again. Alabama, Ohio State, et cetera. That's what those programs are doing. Um, but those, you know, with the portal, the, some of those guys are not patient and they don't want to wait. They're going to be Bear, Bear Alexander. It's like you go all that trouble to recruit Bear Alexander and battle him away from Texas A&M and Texas and boom, 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 and he's second string. And the guy plays in a national championship game but still tr- transfer, still ends up saying, you know what, they got enough defensive linemen here. I'm going to go somewhere where I can make an even, even bigger impact, and I will be like one of only one, you know, instead of one of maybe three or four elite defensive linemen. And that's where we kind of have to get to the point of like, okay, so what are the diminishing returns on recruiting the number one high school team or the number three high school team in the nation? You know, when you're looking at rankings, the, the 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 sort of squad within a squad that you bring in from the high school ranks and, you know, how many of those guys pan out, et cetera. It, this is all data that we are looking at real time right now, trying to figure out, OK, how many five star guys are actually playing? How many guys are making an impact? And then, you know, looking at that versus the guys that you bring in as transfers. And again, there's has to be sort of a long term sustainability to it. But that question comes up with high school recruiting. And the NIL factor, you know, how sustainable is is paying high school kids to to go and take an unofficial visit for you? You know, like Gene Smith, uh, AD at Ohio State, said in front of uh, Congress, you know, it's not uncommon for a kid to ask for $5,000 to be on an unofficial visit. Is that sustainable? Is it sustainable to to have $75,000 to have a group of 18 guys come in from a, a, a traveling squad? So you can get some Facetime with them to be on campus for a couple days. Is it sustainable to pay a guy, you know, $50,000 up front just to commit and cross your fingers and hope, you know, like some kind of like low key illegal contract doesn't leak somewhere because, you know, somewhere along the line, somebody gets disgruntled and then they decide, oh, we're going to take you to court. Like there's a lot of stuff there. There's questions when it comes to high school recruiting and what's going on. Now, clearly there are programs that seem very confident that they can play that game. And they can win the high school recruiting battles uh, being aggressive with NIL and the regulations and everything there are right now. You know, none of that stuff is going to hamper them um, from being able to you know, stack recruits, even, you know, if uh, they're not necessarily super successful programs. And um, that's you know, where we're kind of watching, you know, Texas A&M, Miami's um, you know, to some extent, Tennessee's of the world, uh, teams that have not necessarily, they're not certainly not blue blood, blue blood programs. Um, and they haven't been good recently, but they're recruiting really, really well, you know, regardless, it's like, Hey, you go out there, you look like crap, you get beat and they're still bringing in guys that are like really good players. Um, so, you know, are, are, are those type of players? are they sticking to, are they actually helping the program or are they guys that end up, um, kind of the guys that you don't like. It's almost like that's how you know those are the guys you don't want. It's a weeding out effect. It's like they're they're actually weeding themselves out uh, with NIL. Um, we just have to wait and see how many of these guys make an impact at, at Miami, how many of these guys are making impact at Texas A&M. That, so far, Texas A&M has been a little bit of a cautionary tale as to – I mean, there's a lot of those dudes in the really good class that have filtered out of that program already or gotten suspended or what have you, so – the uh, you know, again, it's it's sort of trying to absorb all this data real time.
1: Jared, do you even remember what the original question was?
0: Yeah, the original question was. I don't know, man, I'm sick. that 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 that's my point. The last question. What was it? What was the original question? I feel like I didn't go too far off the reservation there. What was the original question It wasn't
1: too far off, but you were definitely lost somewhere in the field for a little bit uh, about recruiting tactics of committing and then decommitting.
0: Yeah, and it ends up in NIL. And that's the problem is that right now— You just
1: wanted to talk NIL.
0: NIL is sort of this dark cloud over really more USC recruiting because there's plenty of other programs that— you know, they're coming out with these initiatives and doing this and that. And it's like, I, you know, I I don't want to throw USC NIL under the bus because their approach is just clearly different. You know, they're not going after a bunch of high school guys like these other programs are. I mean, it's clear as day. They've got success when it comes to the transfer portal. Um, but when I start hearing stuff like, oh, yeah, you know, it's like the difference is, you know, USC NIL versus whatever. I'm like, it's just then he's going to the other school like there's no there's this idea and, and I don't know if it's a good thing for USC or a bad thing. But there's this idea like USC is like, oh, NIL, like they're the like they're they're the front runners of, uh, you know, NIL and, and NIL strategy for trying to sign recruits. And it's just so not true. But, you know, it's the typical sort of like, oh, yeah, well, you know, USC deserved to have sanctions because they paid Reggie Bush. Type of bull that you get from the mainstream media and the casuals that just they follow whatever they follow, but they don't really know what's going on at USC, but it doesn't stop them from opining in detail about what's going on. So you get these sort of like, yeah, you know, I mean, um USC's in it for for Jalen Harvey, right, the defensive end three star from Gaithersburg, Maryland and it's like yeah you know i mean penn state you know he's probably going to go to penn state but you know that nil at usc and i'm going nil at usc you realize usc like they were like 0 and seven in july because of nil like you have a bunch of different kids there that you know were were nil take guys i mean they lost an offensive lineman because of nil you could argue that maybe you know there was some some impact there with dakota fields as well Although i feel like that was more of a, a I mean, I think that was a a bunch of different things going on with him. But, you know, clearly um, there's things that are inducing kids, which is, of course, illegal, uh um, that USC is just not, you know, there's just not being competitive in that space. And so when you start, uh, you know, talking about strategy and you start talking about decommitments and what have you. It's like it all sort of gets washed, you know, because we're like, well, yeah, but you know, at the end of the day, it's like if some school is going to come along and say, hey, we're going to pay you this, um, you know, those kids are, 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 there's a lot of these kids right now are in in their circles, parents, the adults around them are like, yeah, yeah, let's let's get on top of that, and you you do wonder if this is not so much about the kids themselves, but what was brought up in that article we talked about last week, in USA Today, it's the trainers and the coaches and the confidants that are around them, advising them that feel like they got gypped out of NIL and they are looking for their payday. And so, you know, the kids are like, Hey, you know, tell me what I need to do. And they're like, yeah, you need to go to this school. Well, I really need to go to that school like i mean but you know usc with the degree and then the no 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 no, man let me tell you man they don't care about you they don't what you know you're these these guys care about you they're going to give you fifty thousand dollars now and they're going to give you 150 thousand dollars when you enroll and that and, and meanwhile you know whoever's involved with them is going to be getting a cut of that and it's like i want this money now because this is more of an adult type of sort of uh, impulsive type of thing you know you can think of kids as impulsive But sometimes, you know, all things equal, kids are going to be a bit hesitant. And, you know, if it was just them and like, you know, their immediate families with these recruiting, you know, processes, um, you would think that there would be a bit more, uh, there would be more emphasis and value put on some of the other aspects of the recruiting process. Um, And it just seems like, So many of these instances, it's just out the window, you know, and it's just basically kids are going to school where, you know, they feel like, you know, they're going to, they're going to make that money now and that money is guaranteed. Um, And that's not really the approach I think that USC is taking.
1: Gerard, I think I'm actually just going to end it there because I poked fun of you for going off an NIL tangent and in, in the midst of, Making fun of you, poking fun of you for that. You did it again. So well, I you challenged I, me
0: at the top of the podcast because I gotta sort of throw it, and you're like, Oh, we need to like protect this throat. And I'm going, What am I like a, like a jazz singer or something? I mean, I'm you know, you don't protect my throat. Um, the next time I'm going to be talking this much will be next week on that. the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. It, yeah. it was a little bit of a challenge there. It was a little bit, you know, I know I don't have the energy. I'm battling Ricola's in my mouth, trying not to sound like I've got a speech impediment. But but still, you got me a little fired up there with that. So, you know, I kind of had to bring it when you decided to talk about strategy. You put that question in there. And I said, all right, so, throwing down another challenge. And we're talking strategy. And NIL always comes up with strategy. Everything always comes back. To NIL, I hate that. I hate that we are in this place of recruiting. I really wish we could break down playing time in fact but when you have these recruitments, where it there's no explanation, you know, it's like Manasse Tete, I love USC, I want to go to USC, and you know, there's certain off record things that I can't repeat, but you know, nothing has changed, <laughs> nothing has gone on with over the summer dead period. Hello. And then all of a sudden it's like, no, 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 I'm going I'm going to Florida State. I'm going to Florida State. It's like, wait, 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 what happened? What happened? Well, we know what happened. I know what happened. Horse's mouth, I know what happened. So that's one of those things where it's like, I'm we're not, I mean, there's not a lot of speculation with some of these situations. Some situations, like I would say, Dakota Fields, uh, you know, I think there's, you know, different factors maybe, you know, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure with, with that. But there's other, you know, situations where, you know, we saw it coming. Like before, these guys even were on campus in June, and that's the state of college football recruiting right now. And um, it was exciting thinking on well, USC's going to get. Hey, they're going to get their hands dirty, man. They're going to, you know, I <laughs> guess selfishly, and I'm sure the fan base was like, whoa, you know, Manase Atete, whoa, that's whoa, okay, okay. And then you know, we got into July, we're like, wait a second, we're back in 2022 now.
1: In the words of. Joe Kane, Let's put the women and children to bed and let's go looking for dinner, Gerard.
0: You know, I'm disappointed that you don't have an audio clip of that. Yeah, it, I, I will. You not it. It, it just doesn't have the same hit spot. I, I, I know,
1: and I'm going to uh, fix that, but it's tough to get into the studio because I come straight from practice and I don't really have the time to upload it. <laughs> Is that you playing a... Uh, I was gonna go into. So let's put the women and children to bed and this podcast to bed, and we're gonna end it right there. When we come back next week, we're gonna be talking about what happened up in Folsom, up in Boulder, what the USC's USC Trojans were able to do on the road once again against Dion Sanders. Against Dion,
0: he's gonna be out there, twelfth man, Dion.
1: Against Deion Sanders and his <laughs> fighting Buffaloes. Uh, thank you for listening to another episode of Composite Two Star Recruits. Gerard, I hope you feel better. I hope you – those Ricolas are doing what they're supposed to do. I hope you get some rest. I'm
0: actually out now. I'm out. I, I went through, like, literally, I went through probably eight of them in this podcast. Oh, my
1: goodness. He was just popping them.
0: <laughs> popping I, them. I couldn't help but, you know, chew on a couple. You know, you get that sort of like, eh, I think I'm just going to break this one up.
1: Popping them like Latimer and his
0: steroids in the bathroom. Whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa. Relax there, buddy. We don't need to get carried away with our comparisons. You think of a Ryan Pelham comparison. Okay. You just leave the steroids and Ricolas in their own world. Look, they're performance enhancing. They help you got through they helped you get
1: through this podcast. Uh at which point I should end this podcast. I'm How Chris. long is this podcast? How long has this podcast been? Uh we out here Do we, just, over, we? just over 230.
0: 230. All right. We got that's a ways light growth for, for three. That's, yeah, that's, that's light, light
1: work. work. That's, that's light, light work for us. That, that's some light for us. That's some light for us. That that's 42 points for the USC offense. That's light work. You know, that's that's not what we're used to. That's not what we're used to, but it's okay. We're we're off a little bit. Sometimes we're off. You know, that, that happens. So I'm Chris. That's Gerard. This has been Composite Two Star Recruits, and we will catch you next time.
0: Yeah, sucks! Explore the weaponization of rap lyrics in the criminal justice system in the new documentary, As We Speak, Rap Music on Trial. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply.